Welcome to Honest Talk about heartbreak, dating, and relationships. Relationships. The podcast helping you navigate your path to happy ever after with your host, Rob McPhillips. Our topic tonight is the uh, enchantment dating strategy. What was the discussion like in the breakout rooms? I think we came up with, I think we came up with stuff, but I think it was a little bit of a struggle. Okay. <laughs> so what would the general consensus be about approaches on, in, in dating? We, I think we were quite good at, at, at pointing out things that didn't work, but I'm not sure we could actually come up with anything that didn't work. Okay. Okay. Then, um, so that might be a good approach. So what didn't work? Uh, like, like definitely big shows that people put people on the spot. So it, in, not in online dating, but on, in real life. Oh, yeah. to work very well. I could imagine that being some, uh, some awkward situations. If I was coming to the workplace in a toxic male environment from a woman, says Keith. <laughs> what was the last bit, Sandra? Uh, flowers coming from a woman in a toxic male environment, like a workman. <laughs> That's Peter. Okay. So embarrassing them, so like publicly embarrassing. Yes, yes, yes. Is the point of the question that how you come across it makes a difference to whether you would be appealing or not to someone? Sorry, can you say that again, Betty? Yeah, was the point of the question was that how you come across to someone would uh, alter whether you're appealing or not? Um, not, not necessarily. The point of the question was what approaches are attractive? Because it, it may be that someone comes with the perfect approach and yet you still aren't attracted to them and you, you're not going to get into a relationship with someone you're not interested in. Um, but it's to, to learn from good examples and from bad. I think for me, um, sorry, this is Sheila. Um, for me, the environment um, is important. So for me, you know, it's, I wouldn't find being, for a better word, picked up in a bar, approached in a bar. Um, Can I just pause you there a moment, Sheila? I'm just going to mute everyone because we'll get some background noise. And then if you can unmute yourself. Yep. Yes, yeah, sorry about that. It's okay. So I was saying, for me, um, being approached in a bar is not my ideal environment to be approached. Because I, I tend to think if you're being approached in a bar, it's just... Um, and I'm stereotyping here, I know. It's like a guy on the make. You know, he's not after a serious or, you know, looking to be in a relationship. He's, he's looking for a pickup. So that, for me, it's completely off-putting. Sorry, can I come in there a little bit, Rob? Sue, yeah, speaking. Sure. It's funny you say that, Sheila, because I, I think the complete opposite. Um, I was just saying to the people in my breakout room that quite often it's the environment for me as well, the place. Um, I don't really appreciate somebody sort of approaching me out, I mean, for example, I don't know, on the street or supermarket or places that I'm perhaps not open to being approached. But I find that if I go to a restaurant or, or bar 
or a pub, then I, I'm a bit more open to being approached. Um, I, you know, whether that person is doing it just, like you said, someone on the make or just whatever. I, I try to ascertain that in the conversation or in their approach to me and take it from there, really. Um, so it's, it's funny that you say that. Um, I, I, I just sort of base it on the fact that I don't feel so confident to receive attention in certain places. That's exactly um, I don't feel comfortable in a bar situation. Okay. Well, I, I feel more open because I feel like I've, um, I wouldn't mind in that sort of environment, a restaurant, it's not a, an issue, which is interesting, Sheila, really interesting. That's, that's the case for you. So would you be more open to sort of receiving um, an approach sort of in the supermarket, for example, or on the street? No, probably not. Again, like you said, I'm, I'm guess I'm not expecting it. Um, I guess, you know, if it was, say, at a dinner party, a friend's house, or, you know, even in a restaurant, and I think it's probably my own hang-up that, you know, I'm, I don't really drink. I drink occasionally, and for me, being in a bar, I'm, I'm probably there with a friend. Um, but secondly, um, I guess it's the fact that I don't drink. I feel as if I don't, I feel a bit of a fraud imposter being in a bar so I'm not comfortable in my own skin in that environment anyway okay okay that's interesting so from both of those so it's, it's individual in where you feel comfortable but it's about feeling comfortable um is where you're gonna be more confident with the approach and more um receptive it is. It is absolutely for me the case, Rob. I think so. I think to be receptive to an approach, I think you have to have confidence in your, I think, dare I say, attractiveness in that environment. And although in a bar I may, I may have dressed, you know, and feel my self-esteem may be there and my confidence might be there, but just I, I still feel this imposter syndrome being in a bar. That's so interesting. <laughs> we, the location doesn't bother me. The person bothers me. <laughs> so I, I couldn't care less. It could be anywhere. And it has been any and everywhere. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, but it's the person. So I zero in on the person. So is that the person that's attractive or the person that you makes you feel co comfortable with the approach? A little bit of both, yeah. Because um, if I think you, if I think you're creepy or just totally, ugh, I just can't. I don't like you. No matter how um, good the introduction or the opening lines or whatever the circumstances, uh, it's not happening. I'm not going there. Yeah, it's a gut feel, I think. Yeah, and I've had and I've had pretty interesting. Um, yeah. Chat ups and invitations, as I told my group, some of them. Um, and the person, no, it's not happening. Because <laughs> I don't like you. <laughs> it brings to mind two situations, two approaches I've experienced. One was um, I was in a park in Sydney uh, when I was traveling, and I got approached by this guy who there was nobody else in this park, or very few people now out of nowhere this guy appeared 
and sort of like started chatting me up and I thought, okay, this is really creepy. So I got out of that situation pretty sharpish. And then there was another time I was in, um, in a museum in New York and it was actually my last day and I was actually trying to get to this museum and see this exhibit before I'd had to get to the airport. And I was approached by a guy that worked there. He was like security there and it wasn't creepy. It was actually having a, you know, really interesting conversation. But I was, you know, I knew I had to leave within the, like the hour because I was literally on the way to the airport. Um, so again, it was, again, gut feel, the environment and gut feel. One, one of the things that's kind of I'm picking up, which I find quite interesting, is, um, is, the, is the discussions about um, environment and also how the environment is influencing somebody else's or the person who's approaching's intent. Because the, the intent is basically what that person is wanting by speaking to somebody else. Obviously, in this case, we're, we're assuming or, or making out that that person is, um, you know, trying to ask you out on a date or whatever it might be. But how do we, how do we actually know what the intent is? Because surely the only true person that ever knows the, in, the intent behind any particular action is the person themselves. So are we not? Um, being a bit too restrictive and saying, oh yeah, because it's a bar, it's this, or because it's in a park, it's this, or because it's in a supermarket, it's, it's that. I just thought I'd kind of like throw that out there just for kind of some opinions. Alan, what do you mean by intent? Well, um, the intent behind ask, you know, asking about, so you get approached. So I can't remember who it was, but somebody mentioned before that they're not comfortable um, about being approached in a bar. Was that yourself? Sorry. <laughs> right. Sorry, it's because you got up with Photoshop. So it's hard yeah, to... it's okay. Um, and you're, you're kind of, the assumption behind that is because you were saying that they might just want to have a one night stand with you or, or whatever it might be. But I don't think it, that we can assume things like that because the life is basically so intricate that we really don't have any control over what goes on at all. We have little control over ourselves, so we have even less control over other people. And by control, what I mean is by controlling the situation. So we believe in, in that case that that person is, has got um, negative intentions. It's not what we want. And therefore, we're going to reject them because that's what we we assume. But I don't think we can assume things just because of the environment that we're in. Um, I think that kind of, this is just, it's just my opinion, I think that kind of blocks the truth. Because the only way you're going to find out is to engage in conversation. And okay, if that person turns out to be a slime or, or makes it clear that they're, they're just after a one-night stand, well, fair enough. But I don't think it's right to just dismiss on the basis of environment only. But sometimes you have an interaction with somebody and it's not serious. It's just a hello or there is just some, a, a bit of a, some kind of an, attra an attraction, but it's not going to go anywhere. It's just 
a bit of flirting. It's hello, you know, whatever. And you move on. I, I don't think every interaction is necessarily going to turn up to be something um, serious or, you know, it's going to go any further. It's just another human being trying to connect with another human being and hi, hello, and you smile or whatever it is. I remember walking somewhere. I was going to a meeting somewhere in London and I'm busy walking to get to my meeting. And this gentleman is coming on, on the pavement and I'm focusing on getting there. And he passed me. And somehow I just thought, what's going on here? Because he was looking at me and I turned around and there he was. He stopped. He was looking at me and he was shaking his head and he was just doing this. And I just looked at him and smiled and I said, yeah, okay, good one. And that was it. There was nothing there for him to, he never wanted anything from me. I didn't want anything from him. It was just hello, you know, it, you know and two people passing by. Um, and, and a smile. And I, and I think you don't read anything into that. It's just a pleasant day. It's just another human being. And you feel that you've connected with somebody in some way. And I think sometimes if we, we're too restrictive, we, we don't even allow ourselves to say, to acknowledge another person in a pleasant way, because we are thinking that they want something from us all the time. And maybe they don't. It's just... I see you, I like what I see. I think you you might be a nice person, so hello, and that's it, you know. So when I, I, I'm just saying that to say that um, there are different types of interactions and there are different levels of interactions, and most of them are not going to be leading to a relationship of any kind, but they do enrich us, I think. So sometimes we shouldn't just say, um, look, at, look at another person as a potential date, a potential, my right, my one and only, my mate to be. I think it's a debate to, there's just no answer to it. And that you, you will never find, there's no right or wrong. Cause I mean, in my experience, you've got guys, you know, I was about, I was trying to tell the story, but we got switched back into the main room. Uh, what his wife, um, sadly, 14 years ago, and he uses that as an excuse to, to empower women, um, chat them up, sleep with them, move on to the next. And, and he, he's done it about five times. Unbelievable. But then there's also women in the group that, you know, they're pretty, they get hit on a lot by guys, and, and they spend the nights getting drinks bought for them all night. And they go from guy to guy, getting a free night out all the time, free meal, free drinks. And People like, like us, honest people, you're in the middle of all those sharks and it's hard, it's difficult. And when you've been divorced and you're thrown in the middle of it, it's soul destroying. And it, when you're down, you, the last thing you need is that. Because you've just, you're just been packed by sharks all the time. It's, it's awful. And for someone who's got low confidence anyway, it can, it can, really, it can really knock you down. I, I don't know what anybody else thinks about that. Be creative. Don't go to a bar. Go to go to a park. 
take a picnic lunch and go and sit in the park and chat. Don't go to a bar and spend all your money buying drinks for, for ladies who are not interested in you. Go for a walk. It's free. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I agree with what Sasha, I, I I don't think we can hear you. I don't know if anyone else can can make out what you're saying, but um, it's not coming through clearly. Okay, can you hear me any better now? No. Yeah. A little. A little better. I think it might be your signal, um, because you you're a it's bit green. Yeah, no, it's, it's my laptop. Is this even work? It's better now. Is it better? Okay. Um, I was just saying that basically I, I agree with what Alan was saying. I don't think we can know people's intent. Um, and I think um, you have to give people a benefit of the doubt and get to know people a little bit to find that out. Um, but I think if you, with the environment thing, if you're you meeting somebody in a bar, for example, um, I think the ratio of genuine people who are looking for serious relationships versus people who are just out for a bit of fun, is probably a lot lower than say somewhere like that's all about serious relationships or where you might be more likely to meet somebody that's looking for a serious relationship. Does that make sense? So, um, yeah, I, th I think as humans, we work on um, rules of thumb. Um, and that's basically because we can't consciously think through everything. So we work on on general generalist generalisms so then the question is so what really um the questions turn around to is an approach is about someone who makes an approach but it's also about the person who receives the approach and so what we've found so far is that some environments some approaches make someone feel uncomfortable so if we're in the dating market and we're interested um, and is there something that we can do as the receiver of, a, of an approach to be more comfortable, to be more confident, to be more receptive? Yeah. Sorry, can you hear me? I don't know if my signal's really bad. Yeah, yeah no, we can hear you. Oh, thank you. Um, I personally feel that when it comes to dating, I don't think you can just be one person in dating and then another person outside in your everyday life. Can you still hear me? Yeah. 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 Um, I think that um, if you want to be the type of person who 
can be receptive of being approached. It's not just exclusive to dating. So I think for me, what helped is in my everyday life, I just became more approachable and people approached me more. And then every time you get approached, even if it's just friendship or as Sandra was saying, just an interaction with another human, um, you get used to interacting with people that you don't know on a regular basis. So I speak to people every day, every time I go out, but I don't have that, um, like, oh God, you know, how's this going to go? I don't, I just free flow with human beings because I don't have a, what's the word? I don't have a preconception or I feel comfortable with other people that I don't know. But I think maybe sometimes if you're not used to being like, like that in your everyday life, when you go into the dating world, um, it's very hard to all of a sudden just be like that. Do you know what I mean? Mm, definitely. That's that's interesting. You brought up an interesting point. I think um, for those who are able to who are able to be on camera, we'll we'll just do a yes or a no. And for those without their camera on, if you just if you can do the reactions, um, and you can just do a thumbs up or um, yeah, thumbs up or yeah, just a, a thumbs up if it's a yes. So generally not just in dating but are you comfortable in being approached in in interactions where someone will just come up to you so if you are just hands up and okay sorry could could you repeat the question Uh, yeah i understand generally generally speaking are you um comfortable not just in dating situations but someone just coming up to you randomly and starting a conversation or um where where you don't know what the intent is or or um why yeah i think i am i think i'm very approachable yeah um yeah see I, i would i would say i'm i'm probably not um and that's just basically because I don't know, I think I'm I'm in my head a lot and um I sort of operate with in compartment mentalized and it's probably something I think I should develop more. Mm-hmm. Um is anyone else feel that that's an area that they could work on themselves? Yeah, I'm in the same boat as you bro. It's kind of like you know certain situations and you kind of go out and I'm I, not really aware of what's going on and suddenly someone might say something and and you don't i suppose it's that you haven't really thought it through and you don't really know how to react and i think some people are more comfortable with that um can i sort of sort of share something it's um so i I do feel like I'm, i'm approachable and i think just the type of work that i do i have to be approachable and um because i work in education and um there was a situation with them um, when I was studying for um, at uni, there was this person and um, what I found now, and now I know the term for it, <laughs> that he was in some ways breadcrumbing me. So every time I met the person, you know, be hi, you know, be just a quick chat, maybe grab a coffee um, or something. But um, I was never quite sure. Um, can you can you hear me? Sorry. Yes, we can. Oh, I can hear some noise. Um, oh, I'm just gonna. What's that? Yeah, that's better. Thank you. <laughs> um, 
and it, it just kept on going on and on and on for, for a very, you know, for a good couple of years. And I never really got to the, to understand whether there was anything. And I just felt like now that I've got the terms, you know, when we sort of read about dating and things like that, or watch some YouTube videos, we sort of pick up some terms that um, perhaps we can think about in the past thing. Oh, that, that was, that was breadcrumbing or, Oh, that person ghosted me. So I, I understand what happened there, for example. And I have to say, even now, it's a long time ago, I still think, you know, did that person or what? And it was, it's a horrible situation. So he was always throwing me little breadcrumbs. Mm. So if we can, if we can just um, clarify for everyone what breadcrumbing is. So what I understand breadcrumbing is, is kind of keeping you on crumbs so that you're about for whenever they're ready. Yeah, I mean, nothing ever came of it, but it was just, I was never sure if there was anything. And um, the approach was as if the person was flirting and we'd, we'd, we'd have, you know, interesting and sometimes deep conversations and then nothing. And then it would be very like, um, not even a way if I, if I, if I see him. So it's, it was, it was, it was quite, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's not a nice, nice situation. <coughs> I don't know if anyone else experienced that. Yeah, someone said stringing you along. Yeah, but there was never, there was never, never anything on the table. Nothing, nothing offered, if that makes sense. So mm. it was just perhaps a serial approach. A serial. He was a serial approacher. If you want to use that term, just constantly giving something, but nothing was coming out of it. Um, well, do you think? Do you, I'm a bit I wary mean, of that now. Do you think yeah. it was perhaps just just um, friendliness, or do you think it was an intent? I don't know. And even now, I just don't know. <laughs> I just don't know. And it's weird. Years later, I'm still thinking about it. I mean, I guess perhaps, um, I don't know. I really don't know. Could be hedging his bets. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. I no, there's, some, there's some fellows, well, girls do it as well. You have two or three and you, you have to do enough to keep them interested while you um spend the time claiming to make be making up your mind to see who is going to be the one and you never do exactly no you're right you're right and it's not enough it's not a pleasant situation at all to be in yeah no yeah i definitely feel like I mean, it's, I can't judge because I think when it comes to dating, it is to do with intent, but I think everybody who takes part in dating has to be aware of themselves and also how other people can be like. And you do have to, I found that you do have to have that resilience to sort of feel like if someone doesn't like you, it's not necessarily anything to do with you. They just don't like you. You have to be okay with people not liking you and comfortable with that. And I have been, you know, breadcrumbs, which I don't even really like the term because I think he just didn't like me that much. And it's, that's, that's okay. Do you know what I mean? But I do feel like breadcrumbing is intentional because sometimes, as Sandra said, that's sometimes just what people do. Um, I think dating is all about not all about you as in it's all about you but you have to know what you want out of something or you have to know your intentions and your own heart and then it gets easier to sort of deal with other people because you don't take it as personally mm, i think that's very true and they're very true thank you alicia, um, alicia? oh yeah that's all right thank you <laughs> just reading your name quickly thank you yeah you're right um absolutely and sandra 
How do you know what somebody's intent is, though, other than observing their actions over a period of time? I think that's literally it. Yeah, because you don't know what's on their mind, and they might say one thing and do another. So other than watching them and seeing what they actually do, we don't know what their intent is, do we? Mm. I used to always believe that if any guy ever approached her, it was only because we were interested in one thing. So I always, always had this sort of like preconceived notion, if any guy even said hello to me, <laughs> he was like, just try to get me in bed, and I'm just like, nope, 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 um, to every single person. And always then feeling like I can't connect with anybody because you're always sort of, there's only one thing on the mind. Um, but yeah, I think I've got a, my question would be, um, is, there, is there any sort of telltale signs between a guy approaching, like if you, some, some guys are sort of say, for example, more professional and it can be sort of more of a professional relationship there and whatever, is he clues as if to, to know which ones are being professional and which are actually interested in something else? It's about body language, isn't it? I mean, I, I work in education as well, and, and I started learning body language to deal with child behaviour. So, you know, look at when there's going to be a kickoff and things like that. And I've, I've took it to another level where I study, study adult body language now, and, and obviously a section of that is, is courtship behaviour. Uh, and I've been on a couple of dates with a couple of women, um, good-looking ladies, and you take them out to a restaurant, and all, all they do... You, you, I mean, you chatted to them online for, say, a month before. Come across as a certain sort of person. But then when you actually get on the meal with them, they're, they're a completely different person. They're sitting, preening themselves and looking at other guys at the bar. And you, you just think, you're a completely different person. So if, if I was a female and I was in a bar getting chatted up by a guy, the first thing I'd be watching is his body language 100%. You know where he should be looking and where he shouldn't be looking. And if, he, and if he's looking at your chest or other areas on the first day, just kick him straight out into touch, straight away. Um, you know, just study a bit of courtship and you'll, you'll tell a gentleman straight away. And you can tell people lying. You know, the one thing you can't hide in body language is your eyes. Everything else you can fake, but not your eyes. So it may be do a bit of that, studying courtship, possibly. Can I say that, um, although I agree in essence, that I think that there's some, some people that they themselves would have studied or have knowledge of body language and will use that to appear charismatic. So I would say actually don't look at their body language per se, but just look at their actions or behaviour over a period of time. Because at the end of the day, you don't know someone based on their image that they present to you. That is the body language though, isn't it? If, if, even if you're not studying the body language, their actual behavior is the lang body language as well, isn't it? You define body language is the way they act in general. Yes, you can fake a lot of things, you can fake a lot of things, but you know, there are, there are little telltale, telltale signs. You're not gonna spot it all in one night, but over, you, at the same time, you're not gonna sleep with him on the first night, are you? So, you know, you, you might be looking at three weeks before you end up sleeping with a guy and, and over three weeks you're gonna know you're gonna know if he's fibbing because you can study him quite easy really
did did you have more to add alan alan said in the chat uh chat box that there was there's a lot of sorry things. no i was just saying there's a lot of feedback on the on the line oh yeah that's better yeah i think um i think it's a hard one to call really um because the, it's different strokes for different folks isn't it but i think instinct is something that definitely shouldn't be ignored. And we do have a tendency as human beings to to try and force ourselves to like someone when we when we do like them. So we'll ignore particular faults. Um, and from a personal point of view, I can't honestly say that I've ever been wrong on pretty much early impressions of somebody. And I can wholeheartedly say that I, I have ignored that based on the fact that they might be really good looking or, or or particularly charming or particularly funny or whatever it might be. Um, but yeah, instinct instinct doesn't lie, but we'll want to believe certain, certain lies about people. So yeah. I'd say my advice would be follow your instinct. I have come from a different... Hmm... I'm searching for the right word. Okay. Um, the way I was, I was brought up was hmm, girls school, the usual stuff and blah, blah, blah. But nonetheless, you are aware of um, liking, you know, the usual stuff, liking boys, girls, so you start to learn the, 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 the song and the dance, so to speak, um, even though you're not in it, you, you know, you're seeing it, you're observing it, but you, so you haven't, you haven't had any practice, but you, you, you are aware of it. You see others, you see it happening and, and, and that kind of thing. But um, in Jamaica, we are a lot less um, circumspect than hair. So men try their luck. It's just, it's par for the course. You try your luck and if you succeed, fine. If you don't, you move on to the next one and whatever. And so I have a barrier. I'm very pleasant, I'm very friendly, but I have a barrier and it's to protect myself. And I developed that from a very, very young age because there were people, men and boys coming at you and you. I, I remember from, I was probably about 12, my standard um, defense was, if you come, if you, if, you, if you come, if you try to get too close to me or if you try to get familiar with me, my standard response would be, I'm going to tell my father and he'll shoot you. Um, Yes, and my, my father was known as Mr. Cook. Okay, so fine, Mr. Cook would shoot you. Not that Mr. Cook had a gun anymore. He had given up his gun, but that's none of your business. And so that kept me away from the older men um, who would, you know, the predators and um, the boys that didn't matter to them. But I had a mechanism to... To, to keep the boys away. So even though I am this old now, I still have some of that 
kind of protective shield. And so I'm pleasant, I will laugh, I will talk, but I am not going to let you into, so I'm not going to think that you're my significant other on meeting you for the first time and let you into my space. I'm rambling, but you, I think you understand what I'm trying to say. Um, I, because, because there, um, it, it's a, a, a fairly free society when it comes to men trying to come at you. You build a barrier which maybe keeps some of the better prospects away from you, especially if they're shy because they think that you are aloof or they can't get through to you. Even though you smile and you're pleasant, they know that they're, you know, it's uh, And I don't know if that's what's, what's happening with us generally as, as females, that subconsciously we're trying to protect ourselves. So sometimes when we, we see men um, as, I think it was, was it Swad who was talking about um, in, in the bar uh, versus being in a supermarket, it's you're focusing on doing what you're doing so you put your barrier up so that you don't get um, distracted maybe i don't know yeah well, that's because i'm thinking about shopping <laughs> so I've <got> yeah <laughs> I, I've, I've got a question about that is so is this really specific to dating or is it specific to feeling embarrassed or feeling uncomfortable in the situation is it like um a, uh being put on the spot in public oh i'm not putting on the spot in the in public well okay let me no 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 what i meant was what, what you talked about was your you'd uh -huh. learned the barrier from you know like from boys intentions but I'm, I'm talking about in terms of like in the bar, in the supermarket, is, is it about feeling embarrassed at being put on the spot or is it um, specifically about, about dating? No, no, no. I, I'm not embarrassed. Um, if you, if, it doesn't matter to me where you meet me and talk to me. No, no it's, yeah, I, I, I got that. Yours is like you've got the barrier when people try to push more but what i was talking was more to like suad and, and sheila and anyone else who felt uncomfortable and i'm wondering is it more generally about being embarrassed and put on the spot and um and not knowing really what was going on in the situation or is it specifically about someone's dating intent for me a bar situation um I would feel embarrassed because I, I didn't know how to act, react. You know, um, it was a well-known fact when I was in sixth form. Um, I knew there were guys interested, but everybody knew, my friends knew that I wasn't allowed to date. I wasn't allowed to have a boyfriend when I was in school. And that sort of became my shield, I guess. Um, but it's certainly in a bar situation, yes, I would... I would be embarrassed because I don't know how to react. Um, for me, it, I think there is an element of embarrassment. Yes, I, I would agree. There is a bit of that. Um, I think when I think about, I'm in the supermarket, I'm shopping and then someone approaches me, it just feels 
well, yes, I am embarrassed. I also feel like this is not the right place in my mind as well. Um, but, and so, yeah, I think that that's what I, I sense. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it could even be on the street. I would feel a bit, you know, where there's no one around, I would still feel the same, like this is, <laughs> um, yeah. And I think it's also related to how open I am at the time. Openness is, you know, quite important to me. I'm open to it. Hence why I'm probably more open in other places like a restaurant or a bar or a pub yeah. or at a party than I would be walking down the street. Yeah, that makes sense. For me, it would be about not knowing where it's going. The not knowing part would be the part that I found difficult. So that's what I'm personally find similar to. Sorry, how do you pronounce your name? Is it Three? Um, where if I'm expecting the interaction, say like an on online, and I'm speaking to someone and arranging it in that way, because I'm expecting it. And we've both sort of got a mutual sort of knowing where it's going, or at least working out where, where it's going. It feels like more, feels like it's easier, like I can do that, but when, when, it, I can't, when it's unexpected and I have no idea where it's going, and it's just out of the way, it's the not knowing that I can't do. But isn't knowing where it's going something that occurs after you are in a relationship rather than when you have just met somebody? I, th I think what Sasha means is, is the interaction. You're not knowing what someone's intent is and not knowing. I think it's probably oh. about not feeling in control of the situation. But are you ever, because that person that you're meeting unless it's somebody in a group from a group that you're familiar with you know nothing about that person so it's a uh, it's exploration time i <laughs> i would think and you have to um be patient as well i suppose okay um so I just thought I'd tell you a bit about the theory of enchantment, which was which really inspired um, tonight's topic. <clears throat> so the theory of en enchantment is a theory from Chloe Valdery. And um, so if I can, I'm going to try and remember it. Um, and so basically uh, she was studying what attracted us to certain brands. So, for example, like, why do people like Nike, Beyonce? Um, why do people affiliate to brands like that? And what she found was that when Nikes just do it and the thing of anyone can be an athlete made people feel that they, they had an interest in them becoming something more. Beyonce's thing like um, who runs the world, girls run the world, is about girls associated with her with kind of girl power and feeling like they could be, they could be more. Chloe Valdery, um, uh, since I'll, I'll write it in a, in a chat box. Um, so that was really, really what, what she was looking at. 
and how brands could do that, how, how they could enchant in, in the sense of captivate interest and attract someone's attention. And so what she basically came down to was free uh, rules. And the free rules are treat people, treat people as people and not political abstractions. So in a sense of not saying like giving people a label and treating people as a demographic that they're going to market to, but to them as individuals. Um, so it's treat people as um, people and not a, a political um, abstraction. Um, then it's uh, criticize to build up, but never to um, crit don't criticize to tear down, but to uplift. So if like sometimes when you're selling something, you're telling someone that someone's doing something wrong and you're going to help them make it better. But if you criticize people and it leaves them less, then they feel less capable, less empowered. So um, it's, you only criticize to build up. And... Um, And I've forgotten the last one. And then the last one was. So. Anyway, it's. So how that how that relates to, to dating. Is I think that really people are looking to be so my theory before this was, was connection over transaction. So I think a lot of dating is transactional and it's rarely about connecting and it's about either you've got someone that you've got a checklist of things for people to meet or you are looking for what you can get from them. So, the the idea of enchanting someone is is to to captivate their and attract and their attention which is really what we we our hope is in dating but it's in a sense so that's oh yeah richard's got it so we're human beings not political abstractions use criticism to uplift and empower and lead with love and comp compassion thank you for that richard um and really the connection with dating is if we could treat people like that and that they would connect with us in a sense of what they can become and so that people felt uplifted people felt that you were interested in them rather than meeting their checklist or um whatever objective that you had um i think that's a, a much more empowering and effective dating strategy so i'm just wondering if it's worth having a discussion on um 
don't know, maybe we could do it here or maybe people feel more comfortable in the, in the breakout room on does dating make you feel special or commoditized? Ooh. I think it, I mean, oh, honestly, I sound like a breaking record, but I feel like when it comes to um, what I first thought was whatever you put out there, you get back. So if you are treating dating like a commodity or you're seeing somebody as what you can get out of them, that's what you're going to receive. I also think it's the way that you see yourself as well. Like if you appreciate, and obviously everyone's got their own path to that, you know, your flaws, whatever makes you good or whatever you think you know you can work on which is fine then you're more likely to be a lot more compassionate to other people because I think what I've seen and probably to be honest in the past for myself I've wanted somebody who I thought was perfect and then the more I got to know myself I realized like not only am I not perfect perfection doesn't exist in human form so I think that when you understand that it's life is more about um connection rather than perfection then you're going to have a lot easier dating life because you don't expect as much you just you just go with whatever you know comes your way and obviously you use discernment in that as well which is an important part of life but i think that people put a lot of pressure on themselves to be somebody and to have somebody who's a certain way i, I think this is sheila i think um I agree with Alicia, but I think um, definitely self-awareness is a very important thing. But I think at a young age, uh, with less um, experience, your um, your framework, I guess, and your perception of dating is different. The more you know yourself, I think the way you are in a relationship is different. I think a lot of people going into a relationship, you know, have this framework of what you see in society on tv what you learn in school from your friends and you want to be in a relationship because you have this idealism of that everything will be perfect once you're in a relationship and so you have these expectations but i think as you become more self-aware and as you become more experienced within yourself that changes so i don't think it's necessarily intentional that it's dating is transactional I'm trying to remember if I've ever been enchanted. It's a lovely concept, isn't it? <laughs> well, I think it's interesting because enchantment to me sounds like a spell and spells don't last forever. I think with dating or getting to know anyone, you know, you the bubble eventually bursts and then eventually you're just left with the real person and it's depending on whether or not you are not happy with that but whether you can accept the reality of a relationship rather than the fairy tale. Do you, do you think you can have enchantment in a long-term relationship Rob? I think enchantment um, it, as the concept of being interested, being um, the hope of someone feeling that someone can empower you, can make you better than you are. I think that works as a dating strategy. I think um, because it builds connection 
and it, it, it builds um, interest and it builds all of those things that are foundational before a relationship. But then I think the dating relationship and a domestic relationship are two different things. Um, and so I think in terms of when you're looking at dating, there's a lot of people that you're going to have conversations with um, prior to dating that may not, never lead to anything. And I think that um, some of those you could have great relationships with. So I think the enchantment works as a dating strategy in a sense of building a connection and getting to know someone. No. Can someone captivate you um, long-term? Not in a fan fantastical sense, but in the sense that you can then build a relationship where you work together as a team. Um, so the domestic relationships, very different. Can it be enchanted? Um, it depends on your definition of enchanted. Can you be interested, empowered, attracted to? Yes. Is it going to be like the magical fairy princess spell? No. Um, but I think there's a threat that I think it works primarily dating. And then once you have all those foundations, then maybe you can build into a, a lasting relationship. But I really like the concept of somebody enchanting you in the sense that they're bringing out the best in you and they're making you a better person or you're being empowered. And I think that if we're dating, we should be looking for people who are bringing out the best in us. And that's in all relationships, including platonic relationships. So if we're in a dating sense, we're looking for the people who actually make us raise our bar and that's, those are the people who we want a relationship with, isn't it? Hmm. Yeah, definitely. So I think the word enchantment in this sense, it doesn't mean the fairy Disney nonsense. It means actually looking for somebody who brings out the best in you and makes you be a better person or aspire to be the best version of yourself. Exactly. Yeah, I, um, found, I found the term enchantment very misleading. Um, and I was like, oh, I don't like the sound of this. But then when I went to actually watch what she was talking about, it was a really good concept. And I think it's possibly just the word enchantment that makes it seem something that it's not. Yeah. Um, Yes. Um, I mean, basically what I understood and, and when I sort of said, okay, that, that's, that's like a, a philosophy that works for this is where it came from was Apple's, it was Apple's strategy. Um, Guy Karazaki, who's Apple's marketing strategist, he talked about enchanting customers and basically Apple's strategy is to, is to create products that delight consumers and and um so they're not trying to please people so so for example a lot of dating um things work on i'm going to please someone i'm going to be really nice and so that they like me um and it's giving people what they expect and that's what a lot of companies do whereas what apple does is they look at the problems and they say okay what's the best way of solving this problem that's going to delight someone um and so yeah that's that's really uh, the, the concept of enchantment in this. Well, what's the difference between delighting someone and pleasing them? Um, so pleasing them, to me, pleasing them is um, giving them what they expect. So if, if you'd have asked, so for example, if you'd have asked people 
back when they had their um, the old phones before the iPhone, what they would have wanted, they would have wanted um, a phone with a faster processor or they would want a, fa- a phone that um, let them text faster or something. But no one would have conceived the iPhone before they saw it. And, and this, the same thing goes, if, if you'd have asked people um, back when the, when the railway roads were um, the main road, route of transportation or horses, they would have said they wanted a faster horse or a healthier horse or, or a, a um, faster train line. So when Henry Ford came out with the, the car, um, that's the difference between delighting someone and pleasing someone. Yeah, that's a really good answer. I like the way you put it. So really, rather than giving them what they what they already have in a newer way, you actually give them more. You exceed their expectations. So you, you make them, again, a, a better version of themselves. So instead yeah. of going along on a horse, they're now going along with 900 horsepowers. And that's yeah, sounds, like this sounds hard work. <laughs> if we're working on ourselves, how do we work on... It's about fulfilling a person's potential because if it can be done, then why not do it? In other words, if you can ride one horse and that's all there is, then fair enough. But if you can actually have a car with with 200 horses under the the hood, then why not have it? That's delightful. But I don't see how that works with someone you're talking to you've never met online. Well, the whole point is that you should should fulfill your potential. So it's about not just settling for what you are, but it's about reaching for what you can be. If that's being the about best yourself, version of yourself that's about yourself i understand but i thought the concept was to be enchanting somebody else not not yourself well it works both be... ways it works both ways i'll i'll, I'll give you an, it's, in... it's one of the things we talked about in our breakout group is and i had i didn't talk about this but when you're given the most outrageous bunch of flowers that is far too big and beyond any size of flowers you ever want and how it doesn't delight you at all, even though maybe it, the intention was to, it just is just too much. Yeah, I, I would say... You know, it can be totally miss the mark sometimes. Yeah, I would, I would say that's, that's about pleasing someone rather than delighting. Um, I'm, I'm going to give you my adaptation of the five, five principles um, as applied to dating in a moment, but um, just let Alan um, come in. He's got something to say. Thanks, yeah. I, I put a comment in the... Um... In the box before, which says expectation is the ruination of us all. Um, so expectation is basically control. So you, you book a holiday to Spain in summer. You're expected to be hot. You're expected to be sunny. You're expected to be a beach. You're expected food to be good. And you expect the people to be nice. If your expectations aren't met and it's rainy, the, the food's rubbish, the people are horrible, it's stone rather than sand, then that causes trauma. So expectation is, is what we think will happen. And trauma comes in when what we think will happen doesn't happen. So if we booked a holiday to Spain, in the example I'm given, and someone said, yeah, it is going to be raining, the beach is going to be pebbly, the food's rubbish and the locals are horrible, it's not going to be as painful as if you didn't expect it. And where does this link into what we're talking about? We all have expectations and it's, you, you can't get rid of expectation. That would be, you know, that would be impossible to do. And it will be the present state if you had no expectations whatsoever. So everybody needs to have expectations, but you have to have a, a level of autonomy and, and a level of 
letting go of control. And I'll, Rob put it perfectly in, in his explanation um, about delight and pleasing. And expectation and having something happen which is unexpected and is positive is classed as delightful. And it's those things that, that make a relationship um, exciting. And we don't want to be in a boring relationship. You could be with the best looking man, woman in the, um, in the world, but if they're boring and they just want to sit in every day and watch television, well, it's, that, where's, the, where's, the, where's the expectation with that? Where is the delight? There is none at all. Um, and the other thing is with enchantment, I just wanted to comment on that as well. I personally think it's a really, really good phrase to use because words themselves are magic spells and that's why we use the term spelling because you're casting the spell by what you say. What you say to somebody makes a huge difference. You, you can be who you are. How you say something and what you say makes an, you know, a huge world of difference in, in terms of getting what you want or not getting what you want. Um, you know, you can, there's levels of intonation, there's a diction that you can use, um, there's, there's, there's charm, there's all sorts of different variables involved in how you say something. But ultimately, the enchantment does work because you've got the term that of, of lovesick or being blind to somebody's faults. Technically, you, you'd be under a spell if, if, though, if you're experiencing those, those particular things. Um, so just wanted to kind of get my um, my opinion across on those um, those points. Thank you. Um, just to right, just to pick up. So um, right, okay. How do you use this? And is this a lot of work? So I'd say the the five steps um, of how you would apply this to dating are treat people as humans, not as objects. to seek the humanity in all and only uplift, to be authentic, to be honest and assertive, to seek connection at the level that's natural and not to force it, and connection rather than idealization. So the common complaint that most people have about dating is that they feel that they've been treated as as objects that they feel like they're commoditized. So I think, I think there's so many people that are on there with checklists and just looking to use someone for, for their own satisfaction or just looking for someone to fill their void. We talked about the jigsaw um, uh, stand up last, last week. And that was really about you find this person that fits your jigsaw. And I think a lot of people don't want to change but they just want to find someone that fits into makes their life perfect without them having to change and the problem of relationships is that nobody is there just to fit your jigsaw and it's about you have to build and you, you it's not that you necessarily have to change for someone but you will change in a relationship all of us are looking to be um to be seen, to be recognized, to connect as, as a human. None of us want to feel like a number. None of us want to feel like something, like an accessory to someone else. And so 
how do you do that? You do that by authentic connection. And what that means is understanding who someone is, recognizing what someone can be, and just honestly sharing who you are. And when you can do that without any of the games, without any of the um, ideas of like having to make something work, having to please someone, having to um, pretend to be something, then you can connect. And that means that you connect what's beneath the person, beneath the looks, beneath the height, beneath the salary, beneath the intelligence or whatever. What, who are they as a person beneath all the qualities that you're looking for? Can you find anything that you can connect with them on, on that level? And then it's about you can connect to people at different levels because they have barriers, because they're not who you're looking for, because they're a different personality than, than you would get on for, with. It's about accepting who they are and connecting to them at that level. So, and then it's about not idealizing in the sense of trying to make them having this picture that you get all excited and and have all these expectations of who they're going to be, but understanding who they are and treating them as that rather than who you would like them to be. Um, So does that answer your question, Rue? And is there anyone else? Got any questions or, or comments on how practical this is as a dating strategy? So one. Well, one thing I was going to say was, um, I mean, to Betty's point, I think I think this is generally a good approach to have in life, just in building relationships, not not specifically to. to to dating and I guess if it comes from Apple and branding then you can see the application but one one place I was going to say where I feel sometimes it gets me in trouble is I think I I tried to do this and it creates connection and then I feel I create too many connections with people and then I have a problem making a decision I'm bad at decisions anyway and and then I'm like because because if you think about it people are searching for this they don't get it from a lot of people so if they find it they they latch onto it and then you now created a slight problem, I find, because you're like, ah, okay. So do, do you see what I mean? So, I do. And, I, and I've had it with, so I seem to get on with quite a lot of people and that's the downside to it because then really determining which of those people is actually a good fit for me is, is, is hard. I'm struggling. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. But it, it, it's, so what you've done is you've, you've, you've changed the problem. Yeah. Um, and so that that so that aspect's worked. So now you're on to the next problem. And yeah. The next problem is filtering and and yeah. boundaries and being assertive and really being honest. Um, so you can so when you have that connection, then it's just about being really honest about how you feel mm. and where you see them fitting in. Like you maybe you know like you're a nice person, but I'm not that attracted to you. Um, and so that's the issue. Is that the bit that you have difficulty with? Yeah. Particularly for a long-term thing, right? Cause yeah. if it was for a few months, then you, you, you take the, 
you just roll the dice and go for it and if it don't work you walk away but when it's and i'm also very bad at getting out of things so <laughs> yeah so i don't want to get in so what what it's meant in the past is i've i've voted not to get in now i'm more willing to get in but now i'm worried about am i getting the right thing and then when i'm in my history is to get stuck in even See? times when i should have gotten out so then i'm like oh no yeah. so in some ways i wish i was a bit less good at creating connection because then yes so you so you you need to get in so that you have enough practice at getting out and and, <laughs> to and some, part, to some part, extent, yeah. part of why they're attracted to you is because it's because you're being you're creating that connection but are you being completely authentically honest in telling them how you feel well, so I think you're applying this to something that goes on for a long period of time. I'm, I'm applying this to even just first or second or third interactions, which, which generally means that if you have a first, they want a second, you have a second, they want a third. And then third is often a marker for people about, okay, so now there's something happening here. And then I'm like, oh, no, it's just doing the things that I think you should do when you meet a human being. And now there's a, there's a connection. So no, I, I have to be honest, then at those points, sometimes I just run away because yeah. I'm like, I'm like, I, I can't explain to you that it's great and there was a connection, but it's not enough for me or whatever, or, or I yeah. create lots of connections and this is just another. That, I mean, that, that shows that you're doing everything right in the, in the sense of, you know, people are having a good time by being with you that's that's the point of this that people have a good time and then now for you the, the lesson is so so yes it that's i mean it's it's the best way of starting a relationship and it's um but you have just have to be very honest very authentic um and be able to know where you are and just be really clear about it mm. um and so so that's your next challenge but yeah, yeah because i think I think in a relationship it is, you do want the whole point of a relationship is, is teamwork is, is to that you make the other person's life better and they make your life better. Mm. Um, that's the only point of having a relationship. If not, why would you be in the relationship? Mm. Um, so it, it's the way of starting it, but it's also how you carry on mm. and you can do that with the even the people that you don't want the relationship with, because you can still, like you say, being a decent human being, you can still be that, but just be being clear that you don't mean it any more than, than friend or, or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. Is it the case with Richard that maybe you feel that um, you're responsible for their feelings, which is you don't want to hurt their feelings, but maybe realistically you can step back and see actually as an adult, they're responsible for their feelings. You're not responsible for their feelings. So rather than you being concerned with how they feel, you should be concerned with, as, as Rob said, your own boundaries and what you actually want and being honest to yourself as well as them and being authentic. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely part of it. I do, I do struggle with any situation where I feel someone, my action will hurt somebody in some way. So I, I do struggle with that. Um, so would it, would, it think, be think that, would it be helpful to say to yourself, they're an adult, I'm not responsible for how they feel? Um, it might be slightly easier, but probably not a lot easier. <laughs> I think because if you, if you believe in this about like, you know, trying to, yeah, I don't know. I'm, maybe, I, maybe I should try. I think the problem is I'm just bad at, 
this this yeah it's not for this discussion it's for other discussions but oh. I, I struggle with i struggle with what's the key i i argue that people kind of think they know what they want but don't really know what they they need and i think that's that's my my, my struggle so i connect with people but then like like rob said it's a filtering thing but i'm struggling to know what the the right filter is because because a lot of these people because because i'm one of these people I, I definitely don't feel commoditized in dating and i'm not somebody who has bad stories generally the people i meet almost without exception seem to be really great people so a lot of stories i hear shared i just can't relate to because i've not had those and i think it's partly because i try to do this with people um but but i think like you're saying rob my mm. Mine is another issue, but I just wanted to share it because I think you know it's a potential like thing to watch out for. Yeah, no, approach, thank, thank you, thank you for that. Um, the 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 idea of this strategy is it just makes dating better, and, and I think if more people did it, more people would have experiences like yours. Hmm. Again, of course, that, that that's going to mean that leads to another problem. There's always yeah. Um, um, if everyone's Okay with it. We 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 can talk about this if because this is one of the aspects where it's going to branch off to. I think Richard sounds like a lovely fellow. <laughs> Richard, I think you sound like a wonderful gentleman. Maybe that's why you find that these ladies are are connecting with you and wanting to hold on to you because when you find a gem, you want to keep it. Take a bow. <laughs> Thank you. Sure. Um, oh, look, I don't want to dominate the session, so let, let's let's go down there. I just wanted to put that in there because hmm. I say, I, d don't get me wrong, it doesn't, I won't change my approach. I still think this is the right approach, particularly the one about the criticizing to uplift. That's a big thing I have discussions with people on that, that I think you have to be real with other human beings and I want them to be real with me. And maybe that's the, maybe that's the thing. Maybe I'll know it when I find somebody that Holy, I, applied, I find that one's quite a hard one for people, for people to criticize and uplift. I think people don't get why that's so powerful, but that's, yeah. where, you get, that's where you get the growth. It's a human being, and I think a lot of people don't go that far. I've lost friends through that, like where I've criticized them because I wanted to uplift them, and they thought I was criticizing them to tear them down. In fact, one of them came back years later and said, look, I get what you were saying. So. I, think the, I think the difficulty is the use of the word criticize. Mm, yeah, um, just, just, I, I think it gets people's backs up. Yeah, yeah. It sounds as though you're pulling them down. Yeah. And it's more a, a constructive, um, I suppose, well, what's the word that one could use? Challenge. It's, yeah, it's, it, what you're really trying to do is, is to... Um, is I suppose in a way I hate this word, but empower them. But in order to do that, you have to um, break down whatever the issue is that needs um, needs attention. And I, I think we are conditioned to react negatively when we think we're being criticised because that's such a negative um, thing. It goes to the heart of who you are that you are not good enough what you're doing is not adequate and um it's very difficult to say i'm doing this for your own good because that's also a, a no no <laughs> <laughs> who are you to tell me that you know you're doing it for my own good that's what your teacher tells you you know not 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 a companion not your pair but um 
I, I think that's something that we all need to learn how to do, that we do it with, with, with diplomacy and with attention to the other person's feelings and that we also should be able to receive, on the other hand, um, some amount of, of um, objective criticism on our part as well maybe from that very same person. So it's not just giving, but also receiving. Mm. And Could you give us an example, Richard, of, of why you criticised to Upwift? What, what would be an example of what you mentioned your friend who came back years later? I know you don't want to give too much away, but yeah. what would be an example of something like yeah. that? Yeah, I mean, it's that was... A... Couldn't it? it could come down to his perception of criticism. Whereas if it's like uh, Sandra just said, if, if you worded it differently, you can say the same thing, mm. but in a different way. Um, and he wouldn't, he wouldn't perceive it as criticism and he wouldn't feel down about it, where he would wait years and years and then come back at you mm. years later. I, I think one of, the, one of the issues is that we're all told systematically that we're not good enough. And I think schools really, um, it goes in, we go into school and we get ranked and we fail the test and we're not good, you know, we're the last one to be picked for football or something like that. And everyone's got these experiences of, whether it's parents, whether it's schools, whether they meant to or not, we've all felt not good enough at times. And we've all been told what we're, um, you know, second best to someone else. And so I think people have an innate um, sensitivity. Um, And even when you're not criticizing, then I think um, people feel criticized. And it's to do with how their sense of self-worth, sense of self-esteem and how resilient they are to feedback. I mean, I think two and three are naturally tied together. So you have to, it's hard. I mean, it's like a parent, I say, I think, isn't it? I'm not a parent, but like the concept of being cruel to be kind. So, so you know, it's this, I'm sure there's times when parents have to do things to their children and say things to their children they'd rather not, but it's ultimately done, you know, to give them boundaries or to help them or to guide them or that kind of thing. So, so for me, I probably wouldn't use the word criticism. John, I talk more about honesty. So I find, again, a lot of people often... And there's a big dating one. I often meet people and they say, oh, yes, I like people that are honest. And I find a lot of people don't actually like people that are honest. And maybe it's linked to, to what Rob's saying, which is a lot of people who are honest don't do it with love. They do it with malintent. But I think if you're going to grow, you have to be honest and you have to be able to receive honest to her word criticism because that's the only way you'll stretch and grow yourself but 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 it's like that thing about it's it's all about who tells you right so there's some people that could come up to you john sit you down and say like to your point you know john look mate the way that situation went down or the way you handled that or this i don't think was the best or whatever and and you would take it and there's other people where you'd you'd be up and like you know you stick your opinion i'm out of here so (laughs) so which when you date and you've met a stranger it's not an easy you know um, balance right to, yeah. to know to know because if you generally when you walk in and somebody's being in any way critical because there's even like pickup routines that are based on undermining women particularly so so there's a lot of play there's a lot of play but I say I was just pointing out that 
I would still use the approach and it's one approach I've, I mean, I generally now I'm trying a lot better, more one things during lockdown, maybe because I had more time was to try and go into conversations with people trying hard to really understand what kind. And I think I got part of this from this conversation with you, Rob, over the, the long term, trying to understand the person that's in front of me rather than the person that I'm looking for. Just, just to try and listen and understand and be like, if this doesn't fit me, that's fine. It's, I mean, they're a good person. I've understood more about them, but it's not a fit for me. Rather than coming into the situation with I'm looking for this, I'm looking for that. So, but it takes time. It takes time. And I guess the lockdown, I had more time than when I was rushing to office meetings and all these kind of things. But so I'm still for the I'm still for the approach. I'm just saying that, like you say, Rob, it just it, it can leave another issue. I'm in the same boat as Richard, but I'm kind of so I I sort of feel the same way that Richard feels, except my problem is that I kind of feel like I get to the point where I've dated that many people and got to know them and felt like this isn't a fit. This isn't a fit. It's like then I start to sort of second guess myself. Just while Sasha's um um, typing in. Um, I think in, in terms of um, in terms of talking um, like not necessarily criticising or, or, or challenged, I think I've always had an approach to get, uh, lead with the truth and what I've learnt um, is the truth is important but I think it's kindness first. It's uh, that people are more receptive to the truth um, when they know that you care. So it's it's kindness, then value, then the truth. Mm. Yeah. It's like that um, saying, it's like people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Exactly. Which I definitely feel like is 100% true. I also feel like everything that you say needs to be true, but not everything true needs to be said. And I think in my own personal experience, when I've tried to be like to people that I love with like, yeah, well, you know, you need to do this, this and that. What I said might be right, but it's not, it doesn't always need to be said. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like the, um, the Buddha says, is it true? Is it kind? Is it useful? And, um, then, uh, mm someone else then added to it um sai baba uh is it true is it kind is it useful does it improve on silence and i think that's that's the real test um i think we also need to be careful that we're not trying to create carbon copies of ourselves too when we are um looking at another person um we have to appreciate that people come from different experiences, different uh, backgrounds, etc., and that they will do things differently. And part of what we need to do, I think, is we need to, as you're saying, Rob, assess what these things are. Are they harmful to you? Do you find that they are um, hurtful in any way? Do you find it, you know, disagreeable to you on different levels? If it's not that, if it's a, 
a, a characteristic of the person that is not offensive in any way, then why seek to change it? Because it's a preference that you, you'd rather not see or have. It's a part of that person. And I think if you're dating somebody, um, there's a lot that you, you still won't know about them. Um, when it's a family member, for example, it's probably somebody that you have dealt with for most of your life or you're familiar with or the family members are. So that discussion has a different um, tone to it in, in that you're related. It's, um, yes, you can have ups and downs in the family, but that relationship doesn't disappear. You will always be related. You can be angry or whatever, but you'll always be related. Whereas a date, I think you have to put on kid gloves if you want to preserve um, that friendship with that person going forward. You have to be really careful what you say, how you say it, when you say it. Um, and it's not that I'm not saying that you, you're shying away from, from the discussion. I just think that it's a different um, approach that you need to take because there's just so much that you don't know about that person. So, um, in a sense, it's because of the context of um, dating means it means something to someone else. Therefore, you have to be more careful in how you deliver something. Mm. I feel like you have to do that. Oh, sorry. Who's going to speak? No, please go on. Oh, thank you. Um, so, yeah, I think you have to do that all the time. I mean, you know, <laughs> so me and my mum are very different people. And obviously she's my mum. And she's like, will always see me as, you know, her daughter, her child. But I feel like it's not always a valid reason, a way to communicate with somebody. I think that even if it is family, even if it is somebody you've known for your whole life for 10, 15 years, I think um, you can't speak to people however way you want. I think there's always a degree of respect that you have to have. And I think that makes relationships stronger. I am 100% guilty of, you know, speaking to my sister, my mum, however I wanted, because I was like, whatever, they're my parents, but my sister, but it's not, it doesn't, you have like emotional chips in a relationship or like deposits. And every time you do something that is a bit, you know, crossing a boundary, you take out a deposit out of that relationship. And then you have to, you know, put it back in. And I think that's the case with every single relationship that you build. Um, and sometimes you can have a close family member who you withdraw so many deposits that it does fracture the relationship in some way. I think all relationships need to be built upon. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's difficult with relationships. We get into routines, we get into habits and particularly, I think parent child that if you've, seen someone from a baby and you've seen them grow up in your head that that's when you picture them you that's how you relate to them because you, you know you've been the one picking them up comforting them um keeping them away from burning the hand on the stove and so in your head there's that role and then we get into roles and it's very hard to dissociate from that role and to see someone as 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 who they actually are as that quote of um 
my tailor is the only one who, who, who takes a measurement and sees me how I am now. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I think in relationships, you can, people can project the, who they think that you are rather than who you actually truly are. And I think a testament to a good relationship is always adapting to the changes that somebody else make in themselves and also for you as well because nothing really stays the same and I don't think anything's really meant to stay the same so um, I think a good relationship that stands at quote-unquote test of time is one where the people allow you to change and that's that's okay for you to change and it's okay for them to change as well. Richie. <clears throat> um, I think what, what might be useful is if we go into breakout rooms and the idea is to, to talk about how could you use this in dating? Um, how could it change dating for you? Welcome back. So did anyone have any comments or questions after um, breakout rooms? I think the key thing that, that's been made clear for me that the approach is about honesty and authenticity and being present. Yeah, definitely. For us, it was about um, if you work in mental health as a profession and you're very good at listening to people and building connection, so they tell you their whole life story, that maybe when you go on a date, you should like not take your work with you and not listen to them and uh, do the opposite of what you do at work because otherwise you end up in a mess because you connect but you might not be interested so it's the same as Richard was saying earlier but that sounds a bit wrong <laughs> okay um yeah um yeah I, I, I can see that um so in a sense of what you're really doing there when you connect to them in that in that way in the same way that you would professionally is you're activating all their problems and then they're sort of unloading okay so is that just finding out what you would have found out in three months time later quicker or is it um or is it you're activating something that would might not have come up Um, and we were just talking, the two of us were just talking about the similarities in having people's whole life stories poured out to you because of the rapport you're able to build. Um, and yet you may not say anything about yourself. So it takes someone with quite a lot of character to actually ask me questions. And I'm evidently, supposedly women are supposed to do more talking than men <laughs> on these things. So it always intrigues me when someone actually manages to get me talking um okay so that that tells me that there's a kind of read of this so what, when i'm talking about connecting i'm talking about find you find the topics the commonalities so you find things that you're interested in and you bring those conversations to life um so the the fact that you're unload they're unloading their life story um tells me that that's activating something else 
Mm. Or it may be just a, 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 um, a byproduct of being, making people feel comfortable. But it, I think for me, it can be a way of hiding. If I'm not actually feeling the connection, I can go into that mode so that I, I protect myself from feeling vulnerable because it's a comfy place for me to go professionally. Do, do you, does that make any sense? Yes, yes. That, that was kind of... What you were saying. The definition yeah. of connection. Or how, how do you, how, what would you say connection is then? Um, okay, so there is the core of someone, who someone is. There is their ident- like identity. There's the culture. All of these things make up who we are. And usually people connect superficially so what i'm saying is is really that you should understand what are the things that drive someone so there's what someone does there's who there's who someone is which is a big question but there's what they do how they do it why they do it and so when you can get to those questions you're uncovering people's passions the things that drive them like they're fascinated by politics or they're fascinated by personal development or gardening or or something like that. And when you're activating that, you're getting to know a bit about them. And when you can find something that they're interested in, that you're interested in, and that's that's how you build a connection because we connect to people that we see as being like us, people that we feel similarity with so you're saying that there has to be that commonality um while well, i'm saying f- you find the commonality there, there's always a, there's always a commonality that you know like people like to look at differences um and they like to say i'm in this group i'm in this group but underneath we're all humans we're all you know like you can have a commonality with a dog because we're all um creatures Um, So we're all ways that life expresses itself. And so we're all people um, and we all have this certain universal feeling. So there's always something we can find in common. But the way that you get to the deepest connection is by finding some common interest, because you've got to have something that you're interested in talking about. Otherwise, you're just sitting there, you know, listening while someone else is is boring you um, or you're boring someone else while they're not interested. So it's finding what do you have in common? What can you talk about that you b- both brings both of you alive? But you've got to be careful though, Rob, if you're, um, you can be listening and you could actually be interested, but it could be that you are taking on a project. Okay. Um, in the sense of, you know, th- th- there's the someone that... this person needs fixing, <laughs> you know, you've got to be careful. Yes. Um, what, what I'm, uh, okay. So there's something in the way that I'm saying this and it's coming across because th- this is coming up. Um, so Can I just say, Rob, I, I got your answer. I thought that was a really, really good uh, point that you made about finding a commonality, but not just finding something that they like, but finding something that you, both feel passionate about and then there's that connection yeah because otherwise the conversation is not going to work for one of you um that's the difference between pleasing someone and delighting them as well yeah yeah because they expect the normal um but i just want to before um i just want to pick up what sandra said because um 
I want to clarify that. So when you find the commonality and when it hits their passion, you get to see the structure of the person. You get to see, and yes, you will see where some people are broken um, or, or not necessarily broken, but where they um, don't quite work and, and their system and the, how they think is needs to, um, isn't going to work as it is. So um, that doesn't mean that you fix them. It means that you understand, you get to know who they are um, quicker. And that doesn't mean that, um, so there's something, if you feel a responsibility, then that's something in the way, in the mindset of how you're looking at um, relationships, because none of us are here to, to, I mean, people are broken in the sense that what they believe doesn't doesn't work but no one's broken um see you john um no one's broken in the sense that they they you know that they can't do it for themselves and it's not for us you know to to be a, to to provide therapy or anything for anyone um but it's so that you know who they are but you don't need to take on responsibility for that it's just accepting who they are, accepting, accepting them for who they are and um, making your judgment as to where they fit in, like in the filtering sense, based on what you learn. I say that uh, against the background that I've heard so many men say that she wants to change me. She thinks about, you know, their girlfriends or whatever or their wives or whatever she's just trying to change me she just won't let me be she you know that kind of thing and um it's and and you can hear the frustration yeah yeah not in the sense um the the uh one of them is about the connection not idealization is understand who they are but you, you don't change anyone um you make your decision as to what relationship they are to you based on what they are, um, not in changing them. Right. Uh, idealization is, is where you change, you're trying to change someone to fit your ideal of what they should be. Where does, for example, like what came out in our group was more a less sort of the, type of relationship you're going to have and I know you know when it comes to you know intentions expectations this that and the third like fair enough that you can't I don't you can't have expectations that you expect somebody to be different but obviously you know when people go dating there are people who are doing it for different reasons like some people are more serious some people aren't as serious and I think that sometimes you can appreciate the person that someone is, but sometimes there's just some things that you just know is just not going to work. Like on spirituality, for example, you do know what I mean? Like something like that, a value that is so fundamental to you. Because if you're going into a relationship, you want to be able to build together on a foundation of probably shared values in a way, I think. Um, I probably I'll probably only take from my own example. Like I would, I don't know why well, no, but I wouldn't be able to be with a man who didn't believe in God because that's how I live my life. And I think when I want to have children, I not I'm not talking about like religion. I'm talking about more of a spirituality sort of way and sort of a way of seeing the world. And I don't 
think that I would be able to be with a man who, who didn't have that within himself for his own right. But what about if in 10 years time, you read some book that completely changed your view and you came to the opinion that there wasn't a God? But like, I mean, I don't, I mean, I, I don't really see that happening because I do believe in God. So how do you define God? Well, I believe that there is a creator that created us all. I believe that. So for me, it's not necessarily like without getting to the, what we can do, but so like religion and spirituality to me are different. This is just the way I see everything. And I feel like everybody has their own divine, like I believe in a soul and I believe in the spirit. And I feel like, at the center of everything, everyone has it. You can call it consciousness. You can call it whatever you want. But I think that the way I see life is that everybody has that seed within them, call it consciousness, call it spirit, call it a soul. I think we all have that. And I think that's sort of the lens that I see the world. And I feel like for me, when I think of God, I don't think of, you know, the Christian God or the Jewish God. I think that, that there is a creator of everything. And I think that that part of us, that's a part of who we are. Um, and for me, nurturing that part of myself is very important. And I don't know if I could be in a relationship with a person who just didn't believe in God. What, what, would, what would be the breaking point? Like, what, how would that break the relationship? I'm trying to understand what the value means to you and how that... Well, the way I see the way I see it, the breaking point probably be the way I see it is that God is love. And there's like a sense of um, not really seeing who we are on the outside as who we truly are. Like, you know, with the politics, with everything like that, I don't think that that's actually what life is truly about. I think it's a soul's evolution. And I think everyone's, everyone's got their own purpose to fulfill in this life, but it's not what we see in material form isn't who we truly are. And if the breaking point for me would be if a, the guy that I was seeing only saw life in the abstract form and nothing deeper that makes you who you are, you know, the thought beyond the thought, the thinker beyond the thinker. I, I don't know if I could be with somebody who didn't want to deep dive more into what reality truly is. Okay. Does that make sense? It does. Um... You can you can have that through just to be devil's advocate here though, but you you could you could find that sense of what you're talking about both for the love of art as well, so a particular love of because there is you know you could you could not be a spiritual person but still be very good at you know music or literature or or paintings or sculpture or something and that can also give you that sort of spiritual sense. Mm. This, this is a suggestion, I suppose. This is a book. No, that does make sense. Yeah. My parents, one was religious, the other was not, and my father was not, and he was the most faithful husband. I wish, I, you know, when they say you wish you could have your, fa your father as your idol, in, he's not my idol, but in that sense, I give him total respect. And as a result of the way he treated my mother, um, and he never denigrated her religious views because she came from a family of, you know, preachers in the past and what have you. Um, 
and they were fine they worked together they were it was it it worked um I'm saying this to say that the person who could be the best mate for you um, may not share your religious views, but as a partner, they could be very, very good. And by using that um, yardstick, you could be cutting off the very person who could make you very happy. Mm. I think the important thing is that the person would respect your views more than having to actually share, be of the same um, persuasion that they respect your views and that they do not hinder your ability to um, practice your faith. Or, or challenge your faith. Well. Or challenge your faith, yeah, and vice versa. Because I mean, they, they, they never had religious discussions. They just, that was something that they didn't do. My, my mother did her church thing and her prayer thing and what have you and whatever. He just did not participate. It's like in Irish pubs, isn't it? You're not allowed to talk about politics or religion. Well, 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 they belong to, well we, there are two parties in Jamaica and each one belonged to the other one, the other side. So they, were, they had opposing views in almost everything except us, the children where they were united and also how he treated her with respect. There was never ever anybody who could say, you know, Mr. So-and-so had a girlfriend around this corner. Oh, don't you know that there's a little half sister or half brother down the road somewhere? Well, no, my father was just totally faithful. He went to work and came home and he stayed with my mother. And that was that. They just didn't go to church together. She went to church and he sat and listened to his music and whatever else he wanted to do and his dogs. But, and they, are, they worked. I, I'm not trying to convince you, but I'm just giving you a practical example of two people who saw life in terms of religion and politics, the two most important things in a way, in totally different ways. I think in this country that there's been a movement, hasn't there, in, certainly in the last 20 years, and Richard Dawkins, obviously, he isn't the first person to have come up with this, but obviously there's been some quite anti-religious sentiment. And obviously some people actually are quite anti-religious, and they think religion has things to answer for, and that they don't think there's any value in it at all, and they see no value, and they think it's evil, even, some of them. And I think you definitely don't want someone like that. But there are plenty of people, I think, as well, who, who perhaps are probably, you know, they could be agnostic, I suppose, in terms of they don't really know, basically. I suppose it's, but, but even an atheist, you could, you could even find a decent atheist, I think, just provided they, they just, some of them might not even want to think about it, really. So as long as they're not actually challenging you and saying what you believe in is wrong and you shouldn't do that, because no one wants that, really, to you know, you would talk about fundamental things that make you, you don't really want someone shaking in a relationship with someone shaking one of your fundamental pillars that make you who you are, do you? It's okay to talk about this or that or something, you know, like maybe don't, I don't know, you know, don't wear that type of jumper or X, Y, Z, or, you know, don't, I can't go out with you if you support Manchester United or blah, blah, blah. But 
you know, one of your one of your sort of pillars. You can't, you don't want someone who's just going to challenge you from the. From the I totally get that. But if you were going to say, for example, go back to the the Ten Commandments and say that okay, those are uh, the rules that you live by, and um, they're mm. not being religious doesn't mean that you don't conform to those Ten Commandments. Mm. You, you know, the, you don't have to be religious. And I think this is one of the things that um, some people just um, are unwilling to accept that you can actually be, have a, a high moral code. You mm. can um, abide by these. Um, coin, it, it coincides with the ten, with the same ten commandments that you hold there. Um, as coming from uh, the scriptures that you um, live your life by. And somebody who is not religious is also conforming to them, maybe from a different, well, you don't know um, how they have arrived at it, but it's still a code that there's a common ground between you, you know? And to me, if you have that commonality, why is it that you can't um, build a connection about other things because if you value your family you want the best for your children you're creating a good home you and, and all of those things that go to make a good family um i would think that that that's a pretty good person yeah no i definitely no i definitely understand that like i can understand that for sure like i don't think that you have to believe in the same things in order to have a good relationship. I mean, for me, I don't know, like I see, like I wouldn't classify myself as religious, I'd just classify myself as spiritual. And for me, it is different. So I wouldn't necessarily be like, you have to be a Christian faith, you have to be Jewish, you have to be Muslim. Like I don't believe in that myself. Um, I do think that believing in God can be separate from religion. And I don't really care about how someone chooses to um, express that in themselves. But I, I personally feel like a belief in God is fundamental. And that's just the way I see it. I, I think um, from what I'm understanding, uh, Alicia, is it's more that someone's in looking for, the, for something deeper rather than everyday life. Yeah. Some, someone that believes in, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's just, I think whenever you touch on spirituality and religion, is is this, so many people explain the same thing in different ways and we got get lost on the words of it, someone. Mm. I, I like um, Joseph Campbell's definition that God is the name for the mystery that we, for the mystery of the universe or something like that. It's um, something that we can't know, we can never know. Um, and we just try and label it. And that's the real problem with words. Yeah, I agree with Rob, that. I was, oh, sorry, Rob, I was curious when you asked Alicia to, did you say to clarify uh, what, what value does it bring? No, what, what I, was, I was just trying to um, challenge is we often decide what's going to be a break, you know, what, what's going to break the relationship. And I just wanted to explore what what was the um what was the part of it that was going to make the relationship not work i definitely feel like that is 
exactly right like you can call it that's what i mean like, i just call i just say god but people say the universe some people say you know higher beings and people are, you know a higher entity whatever it is i think it's true like it is a mystery of the universe that we can never know like i'm not even sitting here pretending that i know god do you know what i mean like, i never will like you know i'm human but i think it is that that search for or not even search but that willingness to be open to not just what's put in front of you know us on the tv the newspaper um what we're just told in school although i don't believe that anyone obviously on school is like that but you know what i mean like you know when people just accept reality for what it is and have no desire to know anything more within themselves or in life i just it's just that sense of internal adventure do you know what i mean yeah curiosity about the big questions of life yeah. But Rob, when you say that uh, ask what would not make the relationship work, is that about asking yourself what do you really need, as in what's your values, rather than what do you want in a sort of um, dream-like way? Um, it's, it's based on the, uh, that... Okay, so if you look at um, when people go dating, okay, so, and, and women are more, more picky... Um, so there is a study and it's, it's a bit misrepresented, but um, they basically showed that women classed only 20% of men as above average and they would want an above average partner. Um, they'll then look for intelligence, which is like they'll look for the top 30% of intelligence. Um, and often it will be height, like six foot or over, which is like 14.1% of the population. So straight away, people have cut the, the dating market down to a tiny fraction. Um, and then they wonder what, and they say that there's no good men out there. Well, there are, um, but often the filters that they're using um, to predetermine who's going to be the right person isn't based on the person, but it's based on their prejudice of what they believe. Um, and often in real life, like the abstractions of the ideas that we think that would make someone a good person aren't necessarily that. Um, and it can, we can fall for the definitions um, that someone labels themselves Whereas someone might maybe a better person, a better fit, but because they use different terminology or haven't explored something, um, then that, then people cut themselves out um, from a whole swathe of people who could potentially be good partners. And so Hollywood. it's... Blame Hollywood. Yeah. But isn't it isn't it true that on dating sites there's there's not a normal distribution curve of male height because they lie about their height so that they're all six four. I mean, you know, I, I, my longest term uh, boyfriend since I've been a widow was five foot three. But because we met online talking like this, I didn't really know what that meant until I met him. <laughs> and I thought, oh my word, gosh, that five foot three is quite short, really, isn't it? And I thought, am I tallest? Am I tall? I had this, I had lots of internal dialogue about, you know, stupid things like height. You know. Well, I get called short and I'm 5'10". Do you really? Oh, 
you know, do you think we're not delusional then, Rob? Because w- women want Brad Pitt, basically. Well, oh, sorry. We get... Did you just think women aren't grounded in reality, though? Because, like you said, they want things that aren't realistic. And if everybody wants men that are above average, but actually they only want the top 20%, which obviously isn't average, then doesn't that mean that women are generally delusional? To an extent, and but dating sites, dating sites promote that because when you go to a dating site, you promise to everyone, and when you're getting all these messages from everyone, um, then it can it can get it can make you unless someone's really analysed it and worked it out, they're they're going to look at the messages and they're going to sort on those criteria, but behind the the bigger criteria is is someone kind is someone committed is someone really interested are they open are they honest all of those things are the real things that really determine a relationship and yet people are cutting some of those people out because they haven't got the partly because they don't present themselves very well they don't come across well in their messages um they don't know they're not as confident um and so people are cutting them out just because of because they've been maybe like if they're a popular girl they've been bombarded with messages they have to have some way of filtering and so that's just the quickest way but it's not necessarily effective for what they want is it that women are choosing for shallow things like height rather than for actually getting to know someone and their character but isn't that then a reflection on the person that's choosing in other words they should know at a certain point as they're going along the journey that the the thing that really makes a difference in their life is a person's character it 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 is but i don't think that there's um okay so so most people they come out of a relationship and we're assuming i think most of us are about the age of we've been in a relationship and then we come on out dating so you've been in a relationship or you start dating no one really knows what do you do so they start go whatever's on the top of their mind they'll put in a dating profile they'll start swiping or sending messages or receiving messages and they haven't really got any clear criteria so if you're going to do that and even people that are then yeah predominantly it's going to be um attraction it's going to be like i want someone who's hot who's taller than me i want someone who's got a good job i want someone who's good looking um so yes, but it's it's based on we don't really have in the mainstream there is no real relationship knowledge to know any better, and everything in the media feeds on all of this stuff, and so people have never gone past. So this is like the the primary layer, then there's the secondary layer, the tertiary layer, um, and most people have never really gone past the first layer, and they just think that it's luck. I think a dating app, however, is very difficult for you to really put yourself in um, in a very good light because the hard, what I call the hard characteristics, your height, your color of your eyes, the things that you just state, um, uh, those are easy to put down. But the soft, what I, you know, the equivalent of soft skills, the, the soft characteristics of yourself, um, it's very difficult for you to describe it 
um, and for it to sound um, as though you're actually being totally honest. So, uh, and I think that is, that's the rub because those are the things that, as you're saying, that really matter, but those are the hardest things to describe and put in a profile and um, and to make it believable because I could write, I am very kind, I'm very sympathetic, I am very, and you I'll just be the cynical one and say, yeah, 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 you're only saying that because, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and you are yeah. saying that, is that really true, you know? When it comes to somebody's character, how do you know unless you get to know them over a period of time? Because like you said, they can say anything. Yeah. And, you um they can i think you can only know by watching what they do um, but, but Sorry, in terms in, just just to go back just to address what sandra said and then we'll go um but i think it's um everyone lists characteristics which is meaningless because everyone would say that they're honest they're a kind people kind person they're caring they give everything um when you look at criminals and serial killers they say i was a good person but it was the situation that i was you know i almost did my best for other people so the character that's meaningless and that's why dating profiles are, are so um they're just commoditized but you don't you show you show the characteristic by telling a story about it. You, you, you make you, it's the way that you present it. Sorry, Rui. Do you know John Gray, the guy that wrote Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus? I was listening to one of his podcasts and he amusingly, I thought, said that women should really date men that they don't completely fancy the pants off because they're going to behave in a much more sensible way than if they do. And I thought that was curious. I thought that's interesting that it that if we really fancy them, it will affect our boundaries and everything. And he said yes. that's not a good. That's not you need to find out with their character, their kindness before you leap into bed with them. So make sure you don't really, really fancy the pants off them because you're not. That's not. That's going to be so much easier to do. You know, if you don't. And I thought, gosh, that's that's quite an interesting thing for him to say. And he's studied it for his lifetime, hasn't he? But I, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think, so, I, you, like, if you're really attracted to someone, you can have a fling with them, but don't assume that means that it's a relationship. Um, that's why I say you shouldn't, you shouldn't be looking at um, f f believing that you know anything meaningful about someone before about a year six months to a year because you need to see them in all different contexts you need the the hormones and the lust and whatever to to have died down um so like if you're really attracted and and, and people really want to you know like they really fancy someone and you know like you say all those boundaries you can have a fling but don't make it any more meaningful than that just because you're having a fling doesn't mean it means anything more than that mm. It's, it's very similar to, I mean, I think this more and more every time we have these sessions, but it, it's very much like your dating app profile is like your CV, basically. And obviously everyone says the same things in their CV as well, basically. And there's like fashion as well, so certain people say certain things. And then obviously like the dates are like your interviews, aren't they? And it's always good to, good to do an interview for a job that you don't care if you get or not, because that helps you. Come, learn to relax in an interview basically so that you give out more positive stuff for yourself 
And then obviously, when, if you get the job, then they, they put you on probation for a year, don't they, basically? So it's kind of, you know, they, there are real similarities. And I, and I think maybe in dating apps, more, more than with that as a start, more than, you know, actual dating in real life or, you know, where you're like friends of friends and stuff. But it is quite mechanical and it can go wrong. <laughs> but, you know, just because... And we were talking earlier, I think, you know, like with Richard, I think sort of saying saying about letting people down. And I think you were saying, really, when we first went into our breakout group, that it's difficult to let people down. But you get let, you know, it's a letdown when you get told you don't get a job, isn't it, I suppose, basically. It's quite disappointing, particularly if you put work in. But you get over it, don't you, I suppose. So, And I think that's quite, probably quite a good way to look at it, really. You know, because sometimes you just have to keep going to interviews, don't you, basically? And then eventually you you actually get the job that you that you want, I suppose. Yeah, I, I, I think it's exactly like that. And so the, the wherever wherever is the, the bit that you're having the problem with, like if, if you're losing your boundaries with people you're attracted to, then you can, you yeah, pract- you, you can kind of practice, you know, you can develop skills by going on dates with people that you're not necessarily... Um, you need to attracted to or you analyze people as well, basically. So you get some practice in that way. Well, yeah, and it's and I think ultimately it's all about practicing in connection, and and it's connect it's connection without losing yourself, so that you connect, but connect as you are, um, and and then letting go of. Um, so that, and then it may be like the practice is, is letting people down. It may be that the practice is being let down. Um, but wherever you're, um, the bit that's holding you you back, that's the bit that you, you need to develop the skill. Um, and so being in a situation is the best, best way that you can practice and, and develop that skill. Do you feel like um, with like relationships, it's good to sort of know, and I know that women can be guilty of this and I put my hands up right now because I've been the person who's been like, right, I need to fancy you straight away and this and third. But the thing is what I've learned and I completely agree with what you said, Rob, but you oh no, actually it was Rue um, saying that the guy was like, oh, don't, you know, go with people who you're really attracted to, because I've definitely gone out with people I've been really attracted to. And it's just literally, it's just not, it's just not a good idea because you do get caught up and it's just like the hormones, everything like that. And also I feel like I was a different state of life. But what I'm trying to say is that, do you think it's helpful to sort of know where you want to end up eventually? For example, I know that I want to get married and have children, but like anything that happens in between then, you know, I'm not too bothered about because I sort of know where I sort of want to end up. So like before when I wanted to make every single interaction count towards something, I was like, right, this connection has got to mean this, this connection has got to mean that. But now that I'm like, yeah, you know, I do want marriage and kids. I know it's going to be a longer process to get there anyway. So I feel like there's a little less pressure. Do you know what I mean? Um, I think you, I think there's the experience of life. And part of the experience of life is that you can't control it. And it's accepting what happens. Um, I think you can have a general idea, but knowing that we don't know, um, we don't know what, what's really going to make us happy. And that, that's going to change as we change. 
Um, so I think you can have a general idea, but not be too fixated on it. But I think Alan has got something to say. Sorry, I was just eating a grape. I'll be on that. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was just um, just in relation to what uh, Alicia's kind of said in a couple of points, really. Um, just like on the, on the most recent one of, of the... Um, of the marriage aspect, I'd be just kind of curious about what does it actually mean? Um, I used to think that I used I wanted to get married as well. Um, and now I, I, don't, I just think it's an idea. I don't think it is in any shape or form a commitment. Um, I don't think you need, especially if you see marriage to me, is performed by. I don't think it's. A, I don't think it's a, um, a spiritual thing anymore. I think it's more like a contract and um, more financially based on the financial security than than other things. Um, maybe I'm a bit cynical because I've seen so many marriages fall apart. Um, but yeah, I just. Is it is it simply an idea that marriage is this wonderful thing? That that's the first question. Um, and secondly, um, you you mentioned about the, um, the the high power, you know, the God, and not being particular um, thing that you wouldn't kind of compromise on. And um, I think in one way, it's a good thing because it's good to have shared values. Um, but you've also got to look at it from the point of view that your influence could rub off in a positive way on that person, so that person might not initially believe in the same things as what you do. But they might be able to see how you live your life and, and where your energy comes from and how... Um, how you, you may be more resilient than other people, um, how you may be more caring. And I personally believe in, um, in God himself. Um, so I understand that as human beings, we don't always have the same, sorry, the amount of energy or resilience required. We have to look outside of ourselves to achieve that. Um, but yeah, I can just be interested in hearing your views on that. Yeah, for sure. Like, well, I'll address the God first because it kind of ties into the marriage. So um, I completely actually do appreciate, Alan, that, you know, you can be influenced by people because I know that I had my own um, sense of what spirituality is and then being around people who are, you know, not religious, but are spiritual and how they've used that to become better versions of themselves, also strengthen my faith as well. So I do completely accept that that can rub, rub off on someone. Um, I believe that it's their own choice, whether that or not that happens. And I wouldn't be there to necessarily influence anyone to do such a thing. But if it did happen for them, they thought that's what was best for them, then they then that is great. You know, that is a great thing. I wouldn't take credit for it, obviously, because you know, I believe in God, so it was, wouldn't be me. Um, but um, 
it's it's a difficult one because I do for me it is a, it is a fundamental knowing and a belief, and um, it kind of goes into the marriage. Like I completely understand where you're coming from. You know a legal agreement and everything like that. I personally do believe in the spiritual element of marriage, whether or not that's in a church, you know, I'm not bothered about getting married at a church or anything like that, but I do feel like there is um, a spiritual energy and um, alignment when two people do agree to spend their life, rest of their lives together, but for better or for worse. And for me, it is completely a spiritual element of things. I see marriage as the highest relationship you can probably have with another person other than you know children um on this earth and I think that aside from whatever financial government I'm not that type of person to really believe in all that but for me the marriage element is a purely spiritual thing thank you thanks Do you know when there's bits of you that are confused about what you actually believe yourself? What do you do with those bits when you're dating? Um, in, in what sense? Well, <laughs> what I, sense? I, I had quite a, a, a deep faith. I've worked um, as a missionary overseas. I've done this, that, the other. And then my husband died and I lost it all. And so I find this one of the difficultest areas in dating because I've just, I'd rather just ignore it. <laughs> And yet it's probably quite important as an issue. So it's interesting that we're talking about it because most, I tend to avoid it most of the time because I'm so, I don't know what I'm, I don't know where I'm at with it myself. It's strange mm. to hear you talking about it because it's one of those areas that I'm, I was so profoundly one way that I'm just like, oh, I just don't, I just don't, I just don't know. Mm. And it, uh, that's quite a hard, it's quite a hard, strange area for me. What caused the change? Sorry? What caused the change? The change, I mean, the secondary grief you have around grief is, ah. is horrible. What you lose as well as the person. Yeah. We don't, we don't, we don't want to be shit, really. <laughs> just, just thought I'd add that in. Hmm. <laughs> well, I, I think that's, that's something that you can have, the, you know, the discussion. That's how you feel. You, 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 you're undecided. I don't think many of us are really very clear. Um, it's it's something that we work out. It's something that changes as we as we go through life, and we get like like these you know things happen in life that sh shake our beliefs, um, and we change when they happen, um, and what we believe changes. Um, so I I don't think. I mean, it depends on who you're dating and it depends. And, and a lot of people will never bring it up. Um, I think it's helpful to know because on the basis of connection is that for me, when I talk about connection, the first connection is to life is whether it's God or whatever. But I think you have to have an answer to what is the context? What is the world that we're living in? Um, because if you if you look at life as a game, not something that you just play frivolously, but life is a game that we're here in, in these limitations and these things, and it's about what, what is the meaning to that game, um, and that is where it's important, not necessarily in relating to another person, but in in knowing 
what's the big picture that we're playing within. And then it's about connect to yourself. Like, who am I? Who, who's, where's my identity within this big context? And then it's to another person. What role does this person have? And, and what, what contract do we have? What agreement do we have? What are our responsibilities to each other? And then to the wider world. So it's not necessarily something that you need to have clear. It's just the more aware you are of wherever you stand on that, um, I think is helps guide yourself. What what do you mean when you say connect to life? So in terms of connection, the way I picture it is, first of all, there's a big circle. And a big circle is our awareness, our experience of life, how we envisage what life is. So we all somewhere have and sometime have the question of why did this happen what you know why why does anything happen why are we alive what, what's the point of life and that's that big connection that big circle does that make sense uh, you're saying we, we ask why are we alive why are we here yeah I, th- I think you see i think ultimately um I mean, I started from the other end with relationship problems. And then when you go, why does that happen? What causes that to happen? What causes that to happen? And it eventually boils down to people's disagreements are about their disagreements of what life is about. Why? You know, when you look at war, war is mostly, it's either politically motivated for, for greed and for a land grab or power, or it's about fundamental belief of, of what is God. When you look at the difference between England and America, it's a difference between God empowers the queen and God um, allows free will. Um, Does that make sense? Um, uh, Okay, let me go a little bit more. So, So basically everything that we do and everything we believe has a structure and it has a foundation underneath that and when you get back to the core belief the core belief is the question of what is my what is my life about you know why are we here what is existence for um how did we come to be here and it's all the kind of questions that a little child asks um and and in our everyday life we don't examine them but when you look at problems, problems come back really to this core, core belief or core understanding. And so most of us have never really worked out because we, we're never at school. We're given um, a religious dogma. We're given um, someone's idea. Um, but most of the time, we never really worked out the big questions unless, um, and I think this is what Alicia was, was, was getting at, is that she wants someone who's looking at going beyond politics and beyond the everyday life and like understanding what life's about and growing in that sense and i think that that's the connection to life Hmm. does that make it any clearer betty so are you saying that a person's answer to the questions why am i here what is life for is their belief system and that belief system is their what drives their life that will underpin everything that they do. Mm. So c- questions of um, 
what I'm doing is meaningless. You know, when people feel like, do I matter? So basically, I think people have three questions. Um, how can I, like, what do I have that's of value to the world? And how can I survive and make a living? Um, how do I belong? Um, who loves me and, and who do I love? And then the last question is, um, does my life matter? Did I make a difference? And in order to answer that, you've got to have some sense of meaning. Um, so questions of purpose, of feeling that you have value, feeling that you um, you matter and you have any meaning to your life relate to that core belief, yeah. Can you give those three again, please, Rob? Um, yeah, so the first one is, uh, is, is really about strengths. It's about success. It's about money. It's about um, do I have value for the world? Um, the second one is um, do I belong? So um, who loves me? Um, am I loved? Do I, who do I love? And the last one is um, do I matter? Did I make any difference in the world? So would that be possessions, possessive? Could they use that term, the second one? Um, no, no, no. Um, the, fir <clears throat> the first one is basically, the basic question is, can I live? Can I survive? And then it's, and once you've um, assured survival, it's about, can I thrive? And then it's about s sort of status, like where do I have value? Um, am I, um, where am I in the pecking order? The second one is about, the second one is about love. It's about, does, it, does anyone care about me? Do I care about, who do I care about? Um, and it's about feeling loved, feeling that you belong. Like we're, we're deeply tribal animals um, and we need to feel that we belong somewhere. So it's, it's belonging. So, so like a, a, a beautiful woman will complain about never being loved for who she is just because she's pretty people will like her um someone who's rich will worry that someone only loves them for the money um, so it's beyond the real me like if you really see me we really, really like me okay uh, I, I agree with you definitely um on your belief system underpinning your values and stuff um Obviously, I, I haven't said that as eloquently as what, what you did. Um, but, yeah, because it, it does it does drive forward on, on everything. I mean, going back to, I think, um, and I know what you said before about the semantics of re religion, uh, but I think it's really important to kind of differentiate, differentiate um, between the two. And I, th I might be wrong, but I think me and a, uh, Alicia, um, I sing from the same hymn sheet. Um, in that, God is simply love, um, and you don't need to go into the wearing a cap or you know growing a beard or any of that messing around. It's just simply, it's just simply love. Um, my personal belief is that this particular place where we are now. If the one reason or another is a, a test and it's not the, the true reality and that underpin, underpins my beliefs. So in terms of death, there technically is no death in, in my belief because 
we will go on to what will be the, the eternity. Um, and for that reason, that does have a, a huge impact on how I live my life, not because I feel like I, I have to adhere to a certain set of rules or that if I don't do this or do the other, that I'll end up in, in hell or anything like that. I just think, well, if it's all about love, then I best kind of exhibit as, that as much as I possibly can. Because otherwise, if it, if it don't, then it really isn't about love and the opposite of love is evil and I don't want to be evil. That's, that, that's what's really interesting is, so, so I always look at religion and I think that Buddha never set up Buddhism. Jesus never set up Christianity. And Jesus actually said in the Sermon on the Mount, don't do this. And they exactly did pretty much what he said not to do. So, but the, the social structure will always use whatever. Um, there's always going to be political elements come in. And so when you have a big social structure, it becomes about control. And so what, what has allegedly happened through history is that the church or the belief systems have been shaped by what's politi politically expedient. So, for example, there's a, there's a belief that um, Christians used to believe in reincarnation and it was Constantinople or someone like that. Um, Constantine. Yeah. Couldn't, um, he couldn't get the um, soldiers to, to follow his will because they thought, well, I'm not going to kill, pe you know, pe kill people when it's wrong because um, they had the belief in reincarnation. And so they phased out the belief of reincarnation from the Christian um, texts. Um, but there are, there's lots of examples, you know, like when you go to the selling of indulgences and things like that, where religion has been used to shape people's behavior for political reasons. Um, so, so yeah, I think there's a, there's a difference. And whenever you, whenever you look at like a, a big organization, then it's going to be, it's controlled by, by humans and humans are going to, um, they, you know, the seven deadly sins. So like when you have one man, when you say one man is infallible, like in the, in the papal system, then what you've basically said is, is you've given you the strength of the, and the purity of the religion accounts on the integrity and the strength and the authenticity of, of the whole lineage of Pope. And then you have to say like, did the smoke coming up? Does that really, is that really, um, spiritual value or is this someone uh, a story that someone's said so so yeah i think that's that re has a real influence on how our behavior is shaped today um, in, in hinduism though they they have gods who like ganesh has like an elephant's head and they're like monkey gods and stuff and i've yet to you know him, hindus are very very spiritual people who also believe in reincarnation because buddhism i think actually comes from him I think those people might back a little bit. 
but they but they don't they don't take their religion in, in as serious a way i don't think as a lot of other religions so i don't think that there's i don't think they take it literally i think basically it, it's pretty hard to find a fundamentalist in unless they're actually <laughs> wanting to kill muslims because obviously they don't so, so the fundamentalists just tend to be violent i don't think they actually believe in the literal God. So it's it Hinduism's a bit of a misnomer always, basically. Well, well none of the none of the religions do because you know you've got Christianity, and one of the Ten Commandments is "Thou shalt not kill." Mm. Yeah, so, but Christianity tends to tends to believe more, or, or, or to a lot of sects of Christianity tend, tend to favour the, the New Testament. Though. But what so the Old Testament generally, a lot of a lot of the religions tend to view as a little bit. Crazy. So it's, it's like history, but it's a bit weird. I certainly don't believe in things like the art of the covenant, you know, knocking down the walls of Jericho and stuff, yeah, or people being turned into pillars of Saul, or Jonah being in a whale. I mean, that's just it's the story, doesn't it? Basically, so there's obviously an element of folklore. But Jesus, basically, person who probably existed, God knows what happened. It was, you know, and it's basically the most popular story ever, isn't it? Basically, and I agree that religion has been used for for political reasons, but that's because it was such an effective form of control, which is why the Romans adopted it. Who's Constantine, isn't it? Because he was the, that, it was when the Romans adopted it that it really took off, and it was basically so. It, so it was kind of like a weapon, I suppose. But I don't think the Romans were using it in that way. Obviously, I think they were, think they were definitely. Say again. I think they were using it as a weapon, um, and religion I think really. Constantine was a genuine believer. I, I think, it, but I mean, a, it's weird, isn't it? Because it, I don't know. Christianity is all about love, and basically, it, it has been distorted by the established church. Really, I mean, the whole. Like, I mean, you know, I don't know. I was raised a Catholic. My parents are both Catholics. My mum has got into deep water many times and still gets into deep water because of the because she thinks that women should actually have a more active role in the church, and she gets told off by priests who tell her you're a woman, shut up, basically. And like you know, it's <laughs> how could you have that in the country the way it is at the moment? You know, it's just not going to fit into this country, is it really, basically? But I think you have a difference between um, Hinduism, for example, and say Christianity, and as. Uh, yeah, well, there is no stated head of the Hindu faith, uh, if you think about it. There is no Pope, there is no equivalent yeah. of Pope. And my understanding is that it is what you make it. Your version of Hinduism is what you make it's it. You very, it's very, very individualized. So, very, so they, so, and so there are as many gods as you want to, yeah. whatever the main ones. And you have those who worship Shiva and those who worship... Yeah, yeah. Um, what's her name and so on, so on, so forth. Ali. And, um, oh, I can't remember them now. I can find my book, but yeah. But um, it is very fluid and it is what you, the ones that you choose to subscribe to that you base your faith around. And of course you have the temples and the, the holy men and the, you know, the, 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 the priests, etc., etc. But there is no hierarchical structure, you know, the part archbishop, blah blah blah, con, uh, you, you know those kinds yeah. of structures. But they don't have the caste system. The but the caste system is yeah, not the religion. You have to you have to be very careful there. It's inter, it's in, entwined in the in the system, but and it's 
part and parcel of, of the, the socialization, the culture and everything. You have to be careful though. It's not something that they, um, it's not a worship. It's not something in a script, the scriptures, like for example, in, in a Bible that says that there's a, it's a whole social construct. And I agree with you, it's, it's the yeah. Hindu, not the Muslims who believe that. But nonetheless, um, I think what I'm getting from what Rob was saying is that there's this man-made structure that this person has this, um, he is in, almost in, um, infallible. He's a living embodiment of God. I mean, that, that's what yes, he is. And he's infallible and what he decrees you mm. ought to not question and follow. And I think that's where it becomes very difficult because we are thinking beings. It depends who the Pope is. <laughs> I mean, Francis isn't too bad, but the last one was a bit of a, well, yeah, a conservative. I was going to use another word there that began with N, but I won't basically. And so you get this other, these other um, what strictures to, to, to keep you in line. And I think that's what some people um, have difficulty with. Why is it that you can't question and you need to obey unquestionably um, when you actually, and then when you seek to get answers, you, you get yeah. answers that do not work. They do not answer the questions that you have. I remember my son, when he was about eight, he started to ask questions because I'm doing my, my, my duty. I'm taking my son to church. And he asked, a, um, a deacon or a, a question and the response that the man gave him was to give him a book to read yeah yeah that's the and classic, my yeah. son read it and he says mommy this makes no sense yeah yeah but it doesn't i am out a lot of it doesn't make sense though. and that and that's the, that's the thing isn't it it's and i think as a you know as a child who went to a catholic school you kind of learn to live with that i suppose Stability doesn't really make any sense and substantiation doesn't really make any sense but there are, there are certain bits that you kind of have to, to be a Catholic. There are certain bits you have to believe, even if you don't believe them. But, you know, all you have to do is watch Father Ted for five minutes to realise that, and that, you know, I, personally, I've, I've always been a questioner. And I questioned all the time. And I've had really positive experiences. Yeah, they give you, I mean, my aunt was a nun as well, basically. So. Interestingly enough, actually, my dad was in the sem seminary and my mother was formerly a nun as well, basically. So in an alternative universe, I probably don't exist, basically. I mean, they both left by the time that they got married and had me, basically. But <laughs> so, and my dad basically had, both of them left because they didn't like the established, basically. Organised religion is basically a domestic violence relationship. It's love distorted. Well, massively. I mean, the Kama, the Kama Sutra says you can hit your wife, doesn't it? And I think Islam has that in as well, doesn't it, basically? So there are plenty of, there are plenty of books which, which are supposed to, you know, laws that you can basically go to the, you know, the, the religious person and get, get, something, get a judgment that says you can beat your wife up or you can rape your wife. Yeah, but what, what, I, mean by, what I mean by that is, 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 is that's not love, is it? The person oh. in the domestic violence relationship would believe that they're in love, but that's not true, true love. Because of manipulation, and why is the manipulation yeah. there? Because of power, yeah. and that's what religion is doing. But it's a, distor a distortion of love. Yeah, what Rob always kindly says is, and I agree with him here wholeheartedly, is that it isn't. This isn't religion's fault. This is people using religion. Exactly. It's, you know, it's not. It's a different thing, isn't it? 
Because, I mean, you, you, you could criticise Britain for, for going to war or whatever, basically, in Iraq or Afghanistan, but that doesn't mean to say, as someone who was British, who lives in Britain, that I should be criticised because my country went and did that. In some respects, yeah. you know, it's just... They have made a mess of it. But its popularity is like nothing else, is it? Like Christianity particularly. And, I mean, Islam is still massively growing as well. I think it's been the fastest growing religion for a long time, basically. Feel like um, I feel like obviously like going if I was going to relate it back to like relationships and, and enchantment and everything that you know when I say a belief in God would have to underpin the relationship. I mean I live by the sort of um, idea that everything that infinite love is the only truth and everything else is illusion, and I feel like anything the way that I see life is anything that causes people to separate and be divided into different categories like Christianity, Islam, black, white, you know, mm. straight, gay, that is all I see as a method of control because the way that I see the world and I see human beings and why we're here is that we're all meant to connect, which obviously leads back to what we're talking about tonight, incidentally. We're all meant to connect and that all barriers that have been put in between us are actually all methods of separating us as a unified force. And I think that the people who have seats put those things in place know that because they try to rob us humans of our own infinite power, which is what we all born with. So, um, that's my philosophy and I would struggle to be in a relationship with somebody who was to see the external as all there is like if they were just like if they kept on talking about oh well you know as a Portuguese man or as a black man or whatever I'd be like yeah but that's not actually who you are and I feel like the the ability for somebody to see past what we've been taught for our whole lives shows not only to me a strength of character, but also a strength of love that I'd want to be uh, facilitated in my relationship. And also if you were to have kids, then that'd be great if they would be able to raise in that way as well. I think, yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with you 100% on everything that you said there. But you've got to remember that if you would have, if you would have said that to me, Ten years ago, I wouldn't have agreed with it all. And people, people do um, grow, and people do learn, and people at the same time they learn, they unlearn stuff, don't they as well? Um, so you, you can become more ignorant as you grow older. You don't have you, not everybody becomes more more educated. Um, so I think that's something else to bear in mind. Um, mm. I personally because of the um, infinite love is the only truth then, and everything is, is an illusion, because of that, you've got to look past the illusions. Because if someone doesn't believe it, they're blinded by illusions. So mm -hmm. I would personally see it as my part of myself to, to help them to remove those uh, illusions if I, if I felt that you know, I wanted to have a re relationship. Um, with them, if they were completely ignorant and said, "No, no, no, no," it's a case of you know, when you die, the worms get you, and that's it. Fine, there's not a lot you can do about that. If they think that you know, politics are, are totally unbiased and all of that, and 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 it's not about power, it's about whatever. Yeah, you, there's there's things you can work with, and there's things there isn't. But I think you've got to give some people the, the benefits of of the doubts because I certainly would have required that myself.
I completely accept that. Yeah, I do see that. So it's the, it's the deeper conversations that you want to have. Yeah, because I feel like that's what truly matters. I think, you know, I just, I just know in, in myself so strongly that there's so many things that I believe we've been taught that are actually a lie about who we are. And I feel like, uh, you know, similar to Alan, I do believe that while we're on this earth, it is meant to be as some ways a test, but as your spiritual evolution, I think that to just stay and just believe, yeah, you get older and then you die. There's so much more that you can learn about yourself and learn about the world. And I think when you believe and you can have those conversations, you deepen, you deepen your connection with yourself, you deepen your connection and your true love with children, with other human beings with the earth and it's not about being you know oh let's all hold hands and sing around a tree it's about actually um it's just about the the willingness to see beyond what we've just been taught I, I think it's just like more of a a wider perception of what there actually is to know and I think that is what I find beautiful in someone and when I can have that type of conversation this is why I'm not bothered about the height I'm not bothered about anything and I know people are oh yeah whatever I'm like no you don't understand because to have conversations like that with other people is for me what honestly we're here for and then to make a change out of that as well so you're, you're, what you're saying is that there's, there's no limitations on you. You're not being limited by the illusions that's presented to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, you know, you unlearn, as you're right, you unlearn things and you put, oh, well, you can't do that, or you're too big for that, or you're too young for that, or you're too old for that. And I think those are all lies. Get rid of them. And that's what I try to live my life doing and help other people to see that in themselves as well. And if I was with someone who was just like, no, you know, well, you know, it's never going to work or, well, you, you can't dream about that. I'd be like, the relationship that I have with somebody else in that intimate way is meant to be the place where we can both foster our purposes in life. And that's what I feel like a true relationship should be. So it sounds, it sounds like um, the Matrix would be an ideal first date. Yeah. <laughs> it was Star yes. Trek. Had well. to take along a red and a blue pill. I'm like, take the red. <laughs> <laughs> when, um, I, it's funny, like you should say that. I've seen the Matrix a couple, a couple few times. And um, I mean, I, I don't believe in any of this COVID business. I think it's absolute bullshit. Mm. Um, I think it's about it's about power. We all have addictions in life. Problem is, if you're addicted to power, you're going to manipulate people who are beneath you to fulfil your addictions. And anyone with an addiction wants more, and the more is never enough. So for me, this is all about an addiction to power. It, I don't see anything to do with health. I don't believe, despite working for the NHS, that Western medication is here to help us. I see patients come in day in, day out, with different symptoms, different problems, getting the same drugs, never getting happy, never happy, always in pain. All of the alternative therapies, um, uh, you know, are, are poo-pooed. If you've got a view which is different to anybody else, you, like an individual, again, that's, that's poo-pooed. You can't, mm. you can't have your own opinion. And that is about control. It's all about control. Mm. It's all about being manipulated. Um, and, you know, 
from personal experience, I, I had like a really bad injury and he wanted to do all sorts of surgery on me. And I just went down, um, I went down a prayer route um, and I went down the uh, holistic medication route and they healed within a couple of months. And that was an injury for seven years that I was led to believe would never get better. Um, so, I mean, we can, we can self-heal and, and we can do that in, in more ways than, than one. And we don't require, I mean, like I seen something the other day about a, a lion in a cage and it said, um, it said, this lion has access to all the food it needs, all the medical care it leads, uh, needs. It's got sex on tap mm-hmm. and it was in a cage. And then you had a picture of uh, a lion in the wild and it said, this lion at any point could die, but it's free. Which one would you rather be? And that's, th- that's what we're facing as human beings right, right now. I know which one I would choose. Mm. Never going to be free in the UK, though. Actually. On the way the system is at the moment. No. Well, that's, that's up to us to make an individual stand, isn't it? They're already sharpening their sabers. <laughs> uh, I do feel though, like, because um, it can be like I speak to my parents and they're not really spiritual or anything like that either, and it's all doom and gloom. And I'm not saying that if you're not if you're not spiritual, it's going to be doom and gloom. I'm not saying that at all. But like, I do feel like because they believe so much in what the news says, what they've been taught in school it does it can make you feel you lose that spirit inside of yourself that believes it has a hope or um you know you believe in the good rather than just the bad you know what I mean it's like a, a slow conditioning where you're just conditioned to think well you know there's nothing we can do and I think that you know as Alan said like to fight back you have to have that internal gentle spirit of having a gentle courage and knowing that rea- reality is people can't take away the most important part of yourself. And, um, you know, you are free then, like, you know, you know what people said they've been in, well, who's that guy who was in concentration camps? And he was like, I was actually, was able to Frankel. free my mind. Who was that? Victor Frankl. Yes. And he was, he freed his mind during that time. And he taught other people to do it as well. And I think that is a power that, you know, we all have within us. Hmm. I, I, I don't believe that there's necessarily a conspiracy, but I do think that people work for their own self-interest. Um, and so when you look at Nazi Germany, um, they control the media so that they could control the propaganda of, of what people heard. And they also controlled the church. And so they, they changed the national religion to Hitler being the God. Um, and that's really when you control what people believe, when you control what they hear, mm-hmm. you control how they behave. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there is, and I think, I, I, I think we have a real challenge, you know, when you look at the social dilemma, I don't know if you've seen that, but about how Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and things and how they're using our worst instincts against us. Um, and, and I don't think it's, it's like some big conspiracy to create that. It, it's just, it's in their interests to 
financially exploit our attention. And when you look at the, um, the big food industries, um, they're exploiting our weakness for sugar and our, um, so that they can create, you know, like if you have a potato, you can only sell it for so much. If you, you sell it for chips, you sell it for a lot more. And if you sell it for crisps, um, you make so much more money from it. And so they naturally, all these industries, pharmaceutical industries, um, and fundamentally, while we're driven by capitalism, and not saying that communism is any better or, or that, but the nature of capitalism is that we all work for our own greed, and the belief is that the system will sort itself out. But whenever we're doing, when we're doing that, um, what what that means is that everything we hear, everything we believe, everything we know to be true is being given to us through an agenda. Um, and that agenda then leads to the level of suicides, depression and anxiety that we have in society. So there's no, I mean, there's going to be books and there's going to be people that say it, but there is no real um, fight for us to have our own voice and so that is what we have to take individually mm. um and part of us is that we want to belong to groups as well yeah and so there is a it, it, i wouldn't call it confusion but it's 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 a tension that we all face on one hand we want to be seen as individuals with our own unique set, set of characteristics and um, and then on the other hand, we want to be part of whatever group. And some of us belong to several groups. So we are um, faced with um, choices every turn, be it political, religious. Um, well, Facebook is almost becoming a religion too. <laughs> if you look at it. No, it's, it's true. It's, it's, I know, I agree. Yeah, social media in general is, is you know, so um, they, 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 in their own way, they're, each one is given a set of rules or habits that you need to, that you take onto yourself. So you're this composition of these various things that you do to conform to whichever group that you want to fit in. And as Rob was saying, um, then you're exploited because you are um, susceptible to the things that are being sold to satisfy those needs for, for belonging to those various groups. Mm -hmm. And that is a form of control. And it seeps into your being without you even realizing that these things are happening to you. And that is part and parcel of, I don't believe in, in you know, the Illuminati and all of those conspiracy theories and that there's some great big manipulator of all of us. I think we are allowing ourselves to be manipulated by various groups, be it the capitalist system or the religious, whichever religious grouping that we um, align ourselves to. And as a result of that, we are at a place now where, in a sense, we are commodified, <laughs> if I want of a better word. And also, and we are running the risk of being dehumanized to some extent. And in that whole hodgepodge of all these various conflicting um, things that are, are pulling and, and, and pushing at us, we, if we're not careful, we lose our individuality, we lose our sense of self. 
and also we lose some of our ability to trust. We become very distrustful um, and maybe that's why the dating game, bringing it back to dating at the individual level, um, we have all these various issues with opening up to, to, to other people. So it's a concept in which we find ourselves. I think it's, it's, it's both the, the bigger global one, the national, the community, and then ourselves, but it's all of these. Uh, and normally, I suppose, in times gone by, it would be the culture of the, of the community that you would find yourself in and the workplace. But now with social media, it, it, there are no defined boundaries. It's all coming at you because it's there. It's at your fingertips. I did some, um, I did some training today. And um, I can't remember the exact term. Rob, you might be able to help me out. But the, the trainer basically asked us some questions. It was like blank questions or open questions or something, something like that it was. And it was about working through your problems. So they would ask you a question, you would a whole group would answer individually. Um, and then one of the questions was, if you had ultimate power, ultimate money, ultimate strength, what would you do with it? And, um, and I thought back, an image came in my mind of um, the Lord of the Rings. And it was of, uh, I think her name was Gladriel or something like that. She was like the uh, female elven leader and she was like the epitome of good for, for anybody who's not seen Lord of the Rings. And she was offered the ring and the ring was the ring of power. And she declined the, the ring and she said, I'm basically declining the ring of power because rather than a dark lord, you'll have a dark lady. And that was the image that came to mind when I was asked that question. If you had, because you basically, the, the thing was, you've got a problem write down what your particular problem is and then you work through these different points to, to find out how to resolve it. And as I said, the question was, if you had ultimate money, ultimate power, ultimate uh, influence, what would you do? And I answered nothing. And the reason I answered nothing was because if you had all of those things, though all of those things would corrupt you and would turn you into the very thing that, that you hate. Now, the reason I'm mentioning that is because it goes back to the, the, the power element, the symbolism of the, the Catholic Church, which is, which is the Pope. Now, if you look at a dragon, a dragon is, um, is basically the symbol of, of Satan. And a dragon always sits on a big pile of gold and goes to sleep on gold. And the more it has, the better, even though it isn't the better, it just wants more. And gold is, is money, isn't it? And that's exactly what power is. Power is money. And money is, is corrupt and enough is never, ever enough. And when you've got all of these organizations, I mean, you look at the high street now and you've got all of these shops that's, that's closing down all of these independent businesses. And within itself, what's the problem with that? Well, it reduces choice. And when choice is reduced, that means we are funneled into certain places. So it's not Asda that's shutting down, it's not Tesco's that's shutting down, it's your independent small businesses that's, that's shutting down. So all the money is going into places that's already got money. And 
it's project fear at the moment. So there's a lot of people who who were afraid, which were never afraid before. And again, when you're afraid, your choices are reduced because the things that you would have chosen to do, uh, you're unable to do because you're now, now afraid. Well, how does that kind of relate to what we're here for tonight, which is relationships? Well, fear is a big problem for us, for us all, isn't it? And fear can be all-consuming, and it's like a poison that runs through everybody's life. And when one thing becomes fearful, that poison can make things which are seemingly unrelated fearful as well. Um, and I think one of the most important messages that we should all adhere to is not succumbing to fear because fear is simply an illusion. It doesn't exist, as we've as I've mentioned on, on other occasions during these, these sessions. Danger exists, but fear doesn't. But it's that fear, that, like we were talking about earlier, when someone approaches you in an unexpected situation. Unexpe when something's unexpected, that can produce fear. But wouldn't it be better for it to be, produce excitement instead? Because there's always something different. There's always another side to something. Um, and what happens if we, if, we if we choose to adopt the positive side as opposed to the negative side? I think then that will enable us to ex experience different things and will open doors which were, were previously, um, previously shut. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that I think everything essentially boils down to fear. Um, is the um, difference between fear and danger that fear is our perception, whereas danger is real? Yeah, because I mean, it, it, I don't want to bang on about religion, but you've got a, a story of Daniel going into the lion's den. Um, now, technically, that could be seen as a dangerous situation. But if we go back to what um, Alicia, is it Alicia or Alicia? Okay. Um, if we go back to what Alicia said in terms of um, in terms of love, well, faith is faith is simply love. Alicia. And Alicia, thank you. Um, faith is simply love. And if we have love, which is the opposite of evil, and within fear, sorry, within evil is fear. Now, if we fear something, then that can cause us harm. It's only when we don't fear something that it, it loses its ability to cause us harm. So technically, danger doesn't exist either. But I don't, I don't think faith, I think faith is belief. It's not love. But you can have faith in practical things as well. Like you might have faith that a pen will, when you take a pen to an exam, you have faith that that pen will not run out of ink until the end of the exam. Or when I get in my car to drive to Scotland, I have faith that my car will complete the journey. That's not, there's no love element there, basically. But you could also have, you could also have fear as well, couldn't you? When they talk about a leap of faith, and, and, and that, that's always about a leap of belief. So, it, so a leap of faith is where the facts, you've run out of facts, 
and then you decide that you're going to complete the bit at the end yourself and form your form your mind in that way basically rob what would you say is the difference between fear and danger um i i so when i'm listening to alan what what i'm hearing is is that basically there's two forces love and fear and so faith is fueled from love um so what's the fear what would i say in my definition um danger is something that is a consequence like an actual damage actual something that can actually hurt you and fear is the emotion that you have around that Danger is a risk, isn't it? And fear is the emotion. It is an emotional response. I, I do agree with you, because we, 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 we did speak about this at length in the previous session for quite a long time as well. I think Sasha was quite She was pretty good at explaining it as well, because we did, we did definitely agree, I think. In the end, it took a while. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just asking because a lot of the time, obviously, we live in fear and we let fear stop us from doing the things that we want to do in life. So is it a question of stepping back and asking, can this actually harm me? And if the answer is no, it can't harm me, then we realise it's, it's actually just an emotional reaction or our perception that we're overlaying a situation. Correct, yeah. I think that, that's, that, that's really what I think Alan means centrally, and that's been essential to what he's saying. So he's saying that the people who, who hold us back in our lives when we're making decisions quite often are ourselves. And we choose, sometimes we just choose to take the easy route, which is to do nothing, I suppose, because you're afraid of, of taking a risk, like in a relationship. Any relationship is a risk. And, and it's, you know, showing yourself to someone or making yourself vulnerable, which you do when, when you're sort of, you know, going to enter a relationship with someone, that's a risk. A lot of people, like the guy Richard, he was saying that earlier, wasn't he? He was saying that he's kind of like that fear almost presents him from moving forward, as if he, he kind of holds himself back because he almost doesn't want to go to that next step. And I think people, you know, fear fear holds you back a lot, I suppose. So fear, fear is limiting. Fear, to, fear is limiting, whereas faith is unlimited. Because fear, as I said earlier on, it removes choice. Yes, that's, and that's, that's very true. So whereas with what Richard was saying earlier on, he has a choice, but one of those choices he's removing from his um, arsenal, as it were, or whatever, because he fears it. Yeah. So we might... You know, let's let's go back to the dating thing. We might we might fancy somebody, but we'll never ever ask them out because we fear that they'll say no. We fear that we might be humiliated. We yeah. fear that if you do say yeah, what what are you going to talk to them about? You know, there's there's loads of different elements to fear. So fear is very very restrictive, but often fear is just simply made up in your head, and you know. The Nazis, they, they, they were absolutely brilliant at creating fear, communists creating fear. Now we've got this fear outside our, don't wear a mask, 
no, should I do wear a mask? Don't go outside. I don't know. Do go outside. So you've got the confusion. Chaos. Chaos creates fear. One, but one way of, of, of dealing with that is to be able to make informed decisions or, uh, and that is, get, well, I suppose that's what we are doing here. We're discussing and we're um, gaining insight into some of the things that would affect our levels of fear. Um, because fear is also, uh, a part of fear is also ignorance in, in a sense. And if we can at least get insights into some of those areas where we have no information or no knowledge, then that may contribute to reducing that level of fear. Mm. The problem with social media, like we were discussing earlier, is that there are lots and lots of agents that actually are spreading misinformation. And the American election is, is we definitely know that in 2016, there was a lot of misinformation that was deliberately spread probably by the Russians, but possibly by the Chinese as well, and that that's become a new weapon. And, and they're probably spreading similar stuff about coronavirus because there's probably an intent to destabilise Western culture. So you've got that at the end as well. And that probably actually is a real threat, unfortunately. But the reason why that is so successful in some instances is that it, we have lost the ability or we have become very lazy. We don't query. We don't yeah. ask questions as much as we should and in some instances we don't we don't have the right vocabulary to ask the right questions yeah. and as a result of that um and, and 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 sometimes we're just not curious about certain things we we have our set interests and we just take it for granted that what is said is and um yeah. as a result of that we are susceptible to being fed a diet of misinformation that we just go along with rather than question. And we accept it from our politicians. I mean, our politicians haven't talked in a straight manner, have they, for sort of my, my lifetime. There, there have been very few that have ever actually spoken in a straight, direct manner. They all skirt around subjects, avoid questions. They've all become very good at it. And we accept that in our leaders. So... But and really, it's unacceptable, particularly in a situation like this, basically, where, you know, you've got big economic problems in certain areas, and you've also got something which looks like a pandemic as well, basically. The possible public health crisis, definite problems with NHS, and also the, you know, the, the economic issues as well. That's something that you need direct talk on, don't you? Well, well, actually, fear is also a part of that too, wouldn't you say? Fear is also a part of that. Fear of retribution, fear of what the others will say, fear of being different. You, um, you fear know, of making a decision. Out. In terms yeah, of fear of questioning yeah. certain things, fear of... Uh, yeah, even they're constrained by fear because they're worried about if they make a decision and, and something happens and they're held accountable. That, they're afraid of that. And that, so that's holding them back. So it's all the way to the top, isn't it? They're feeling like that. And that's hamstringing them, and it's hamstringing us as well. The, the way that I look at it is, in terms of dating, if if everyone would just like be really honest, put out um, who they were, you know, present themselves well, send like send a message to everyone that they were interested in dating, just be really honest, really authentic, um, and just 
message everyone, you would soon find someone. It's our fear that holds us back. In everything that we do, like in the fear of public speaking, in the fear of um, what other people think, in, in most of our life is controlled by what other people think. You know, the, the car that we buy, the house, house that we buy, we live in, the person we marry, all of these things are mostly done to please other people. And so uh, what so holds are, us... Are we controlled by what they think or, or what we think they think? By our perception of, of what they think. And so we're all, we're all, like Pete says, we're all hamstrung by our own fears. And th then the organisational, the, the um, cultural representation of this is the political system that we have. And the political system that we have is basically designed to maintain the status quo. No, no well, not necessarily. It, it's about not wanting to deal with the truth. We don't have the truth because we don't want the truth. So, yeah. if you look at, if you look at, we we have a high level of obesity, and we have a high level of obesity because basically we don't want to give up the foods that we want, and we don't want to exercise as much as we want, um, and so we there are so many diets because this diet won't work because I don't, I don't want to be on reduced calories. So this diet promises me that I can have everything that I want and it's really easy. And so we're always looking for the magic bullet. And in the same way, politics is about, we don't really want the truth. The real truth is we're going to have to pay more tax or have less services. And that is the core truth. But the core truth is never going to be elected um, because the mass of the population is going to go for what they want. They're going to go for the magic bullet, which is why that, um, like some, some madcap diet is going to be the best selling book. But the one that says there's no simple things. It's this, it's this, it's this. People are like, I don't know. I've heard all that. I want, I want the, the, the real solution. And it's the same thing with politics. We don't, we have a political system that lets us, um, not have to confront the harsh truths. Yeah. I don't think we're going to be able to stop confronting them for long. Right? Yeah, I, I think everything has a breaking point, and I think, I, I think societally we've got we've come to a point where, um, I think you know Manchester there's a standoff, um, in Paris there was riots, in Berlin um, there was disturbances. Um, we've had it in America for, well, for COVID and also for the Black Lives Matter and the police things. Um, I think we've come to a stage where, um, yeah, the system is broken um, and we're going to have to deal with that as a society. And I, I when think... You, when you, sorry, when you say that people don't want the truth, do you think that's because people are lazy or people are delusional or... Well, it's not necessarily lazy, but it's it's that um, from an individual level, you, you've gone out, you've been born into a culture and you've been told that this is what you have to do. And, and so people go out to work and then they come home and then they're tired and they don't not really want in for some high, you know, there's a percentage of people that are really looking for the deeper questions. And I think, you know, we're we're all interested and we're all curious. But generally, people are looking at the Kardashians because it's easy. You know, it, it's like um, junk food is, is easy. 
um, watching the Kardashians and Love Island and um, those things are entertaining, but not nutritious. Yeah, that's, um, that's what I mean. Are, are, the, are the vast majority of people lazy or, you know... They did a lot of studies back in, in, in sort of 2013, 2014, because Cameron, he looked like he was trying to have lots of referendums. And obviously we had lots of referendums in his bet. You know, we had vote, we had voting rights. We had uh, the Scottish one as well, obviously, and we had Brexit. And I think there might be another one. And we hadn't had one before that since we went into the common market in the seventies. And 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 one of the things they looked, they found when they went and did a big survey and talked to a lot of people was that a lot of people just like they want to vote and then just be governed and be told what to do. And that's what a lot of people said. It was it was sort of like seventy percent of all the people they spoke to. I think said that. They said, we vote for you, and then we expect you to go and govern and leave us out. It's not laziness as much. I think it's just going to do your job. I think it's probably their strategy. Your job's to govern, so go and govern. And, and also, what you also have to look mm. at is um, what we're dealing with now. You know, back when there was a, a tribe of 150 people, pretty much everyone understood what was going on. We've got um health minister that isn't qualified um he doesn't really know you know what, what does boris johnson know about um you know uh, anything yeah, well yeah i'm sounding like him but what does he know about a virus what does he know he, he you know he he's got contradicting opinions and he's going to go with whatever he believes what does he really know about education um so it's it's with we're picking people on the ideology and really how democracy works is you're going for the mass <clears throat> mass market, which is going to be sun readers. It's going to be whatever sun readers understand is what gets the vote. And when you look at American elections, when they, when they've boiled it down, it comes down to who has the simplest slogan and Trump's um, what is Trump's uh, make America great. No one's going to misunderstand that. But anything more meaningful, anything that's really going to address change, is more complex. And well, so, Paul Obama had "Yes, we can," didn't they? That was pretty good. Yeah, um, and and basically, it, whoever wins politics is whoever can boil it down to the lowest common denominator. Because yeah. the, the fact of democracy is that when you look at education levels, there's certain, you know, people have, and then. It's not that necessarily people are bad people or, or whatever. It's just that if you're not academic and you're not understanding, you're not, you don't really take things in by reading them, you're not really a deep thinker, you're not really going to understand the real complexity of the politics that we have to govern a society like today. And then when you add on to that, the fact that the misinformation and what, you know, the, the media that we get is all partisan to certain policy, politics and policies, then um, people don't really know what they're um, voting for and they don't really know the details. And, and basically, they haven't addressed, um, you know, in our own lives, we haven't addressed, like all of us, our problems are because we haven't confronted the truth on whatever the issue is. And so they're... You know, um, 
facing that and, and often we haven't confronted it because we're not aware of it because we think because it can't it doesn't come as a as a straight choice it comes masked in all these other cloaks and so it's usually that we haven't had the time to to think it through and really understand it clearly do you think it's unfair to call the vast majority of people stupid then in terms of like the the lowest common denominator it's not it's not the the, the fact that you're calling people stupid it's the fact of uninformed it's well it's the fact of that it takes a certain amount of energy it takes a certain amount of time effort and application and um a certain level of i don't know we want to say literacy or something but you've got though like the real deep issues of politics are not something that you're going to read in the sun newspaper there's something they're going to take a lot more effort a lot more involvement and a higher level of academic i'm not saying that if someone hasn't got degrees they're not intelligent but what i'm saying is that they're probably not going to wade through a 56 page policy document that has the real details of it they're going to get the 100 word article that sums it up and dumbs it down yeah i mean i'm just thinking of the thing that if, if you go on youtube and the kardashian has posted a clip of, of some rubbish it's probably got 100 million views whereas yeah. if you look at something with critical thinking it's probably got five views so the point is it people are just interested in rubbish it's the, no it's the, it's the facts it, and this is really applicable to dating it's not necessarily the fact that people are stupid but when you write for someone you should write to like someone who's between 10 and 12 and the reason that you're writing isn't so that it's uh, because they're they're not intelligent enough it's the fact it takes the that little um of their ability to process because if you write to someone at a 20 year old level they have to give it all their attention. They might not have the time. They have to think it through. Um, and so if you send someone a message on a dating site that's really complex, um, it makes it harder for them to respond. It, may, it means they're less likely to, and it's not because they're not intelligent enough. It's because they've got so many other demands on their time. And it's probably not a priority right now. But you also have a, a situation wherein um, jargon has become the order of the day. And regardless of the discipline, um, we can get bound up in jargon. If you're a business person and you hear them talking about some of the things just really just drive me crazy because it's a different language. And so this clannish... Um, development of these bits of jargon they are meant to exclude those who don't belong to that clan. And in the public domain, as an as a ex-public sector worker myself, um, you develop um, these detailed and very complex and you make them extra complicated and all kinds of background information that the average person will not read. The problem is that people do not take the time to um, communicate their thoughts in clear um, language that can be understood by the layperson. And, and as a result of that, and some of it is deliberate, so it's obtuse, 
and no matter how they'll say that there's transparency and it's on this website and it's available, the average person cannot read it. Can you say you honestly understand the terms and conditions that you tick every time you open an app and you say, I agree, just in order to get to use that app? It, 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 you don't. And so um, we, are guided, we are guided by, um, in many respects, what our peers say, um, that this is so, because we... We can't digest what is in front of us. So we assume that these people who are telling us like they know many times that they really don't know, but they have done the work. We think they have done the work for us. And so we join them and we go along with it because it sounds okay and it sounds all right because the world is complex, yes, but we do not communicate, as Rob is saying, you write for the layperson. As a scientist writing stuff, I write with general in general words i do not write you know that thing about oh if you are of a certain educational level you write words with five syllables and more to show how educated you are and that's that's not the point the point is to get your the meaning across to as many people as possible and i think that's what we have lost and government has lost well not necessarily lost it i think sometimes they are deliberate in it because it shields yeah. them yeah. from having to have the discussion with 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 us the common yeah. person they don't want to be held accountable do they yeah exactly well, because i mean the, the, specifically because you had problems where you had a bit of a weird opposition for a while they they, they just sort of got used to doing what they want without being held accountable and most of the press is tory you know, it's going over the BBC, which was one of the last bits of sort of left wing miles and brought down. Because so there's not, you're going to have like what the Daily Mirror, the Guardian, and the the Eye, and that'll be it. Everything else will be right wing. I mean, that's the way it's going basically. But just on communication, about... communication is the key. Clear communication is the key, and and by communication, I don't mean one way transmission of information. I yeah. mean two way wherein you can have interaction and you can have explanation and also to ensure that the message that you're putting out is received to be on the other end about like about corona like coronavirus specifically i've got quite a lot of friends who are doctors and they're not even getting information about coronavirus. so they're having to find stuff in like peer reviews and journals to try and work out what's going on so no one's even telling them so if you're in a country where you're not telling your actual medical professionals what's going on, then what are you doing, basically? Just back to what Betty was saying, because I had to look this up, and I'm sure I've mentioned this before, but she was talking about the Kardashians. And I just want to point out that Justin Bieber, I think he's the highest person with Twitter users, he's got 100 million Twitter followers. Now, what's the population in the UK? Like 68 million or something? So he's got more followers than there are people in this country by a long way. And that is quite something, isn't it? Really. That's quite a, that man could do quite a lot. He could probably actually storm the White House with these Bieber people, whatever they're called. If he said go and storm the White House now, they'd probably go and do it. Well, I was just going to say vote Bieber. <laughs> well, yeah. Can we vote 100 for him? A hundred million? hundred million, yeah. That's frightening. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but there you go. That's uh, that's the way. That, that it's a different world now, isn't it? 
it but it's like easy to consume. It. It, it, it doesn't mean that they, people necessarily, I mean, some people do identify with them and that, but, but it's a lot of it is just, it's easy. You see, you know, it's easy to, to, to watch Kardashians and that. And it's not necessarily that people aren't capable of more, but sometimes like if you've had a busy day at work and um, all you want is to veg out in front of the telly, then you're going to watch Kardashians or listen to Justin Bieber or, or something like that. Um, and it's, it's just people are stressed and have so many demands on their time. I think that's true, but I also think it's like the power of association as well. Because I kind of think like if you aren't, for example, like if I take from a personal example, the people who I choose to spend my time around more do really encourage like personal growth, um, you know, just basically improving yourself and always reading different things and stuff like that. So the way that I live my life has changed just by being around more ambitious people. But like before, and this is not to discredit anyone because everyone makes their own choice and it's not for me to judge whatsoever. But when I was, you know, hanging out with different people, I was doing different things. So I think that um, it is more like people find more power in the collective rather than them as an individual and I think, I I personally do feel like it is a choice um, that people decide to make. I think everyone has that. I well, I had anyway. I can't speak for everyone, but I feel like everyone has that little niggling inside themselves that they're missing out on something. Like what they're doing day to day isn't necessarily what they should be doing. They could be doing more, and I think it depends on whether or not you answer the call. But I think that's encouraged by the people that you choose to spend your time with as well. I think Rob, it goes back to what you were saying earlier. Um watching the Kardashians or listening to Justin Bieber is I think about trying to fit in. You know, I remember when I first started work, you know, if you wanted to work in the city, you had to be able to drink. Mm. If a guy or a girl wants to fit in the office, you have to be able to talk about football. Yeah. It's not necessarily a case of that's what you want to do, but it's mm. a case of unless you know about those subjects, you're not going to fit in. Yeah, and, and society, you, you, there's always a group of people or just individuals who will hammer away at you for the choices that you make. And you've got to really believe in what you're doing. Um, otherwise, you will crumble. I remember when I left university first and I went to, um, to work at my first fish farm. Hmm. And a gentleman came from the bank and he said to me, what's a pretty girl like you doing in all of this mud? You should be behind a desk serving people in the bank. And I looked at him and I said, really? I don't think so. And even my mother said to me, I thought you would have been, you would want to become a teacher, you know? And I said, no, I'm out. No, 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 no. And and as it was, I was the one of the first two females in Jamaica to be trained as an aquaculturist, right? So that was different. And people would look at me, why are you doing this? You, sh you should be in a suit, you know? You suit and in an air-conditioned office. And, and, and I'm like, oh, no, 
I'm in my, my jeans shorts and my t-shirt and I'm in modern, you know, even my flatmate used to be, oh God, you stink when you come home because you have all this fish all over you. And I was a pig in mud. I was very happy, but society said, nah, you, you're not conforming. You should not, you know, why are you doing this? Why? So, and you have to just love what you're doing because I didn't care. To me, that was just not love. I was obsessed, okay? Uh, I, that was my calling as far as I was concerned. But for people, you know, it, it could be almost like, um, but how would you have, don't you want to get married and have children with this life? <laughs> you know, you can't do that. And I'm like, it's not, a, it, I didn't know it's either or. So you're right. It's, it's, you have to, you have to know who you are. And it is difficult not to perform as well. Because we're all bound by it. And, 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 I, and I know you were talking, Alicia, about sort of, kind of almost going back to first principles and like breaking it down. And say, I don't want to accept this and I don't want to accept that. You can't, if you go back too far, then, because even language binds us, really. And just little things, like, the only one I can ever remember is, like, when you go when you go into a left, everyone always faces the same way, generally. They all face the front, and that's just a norm. And if you actually go in and you face the back and look at people, they get really freaked out, basically. And I actually experimented with this. I did a few things where I stood in my, for a bit, when I, when I read it, and there, there were a few others as well certain norms that people do and if you like cues is obviously is one as well like in the uk you know if you mess with cue norms people get real like real annoyed basically yeah, like very quickly even if you're just sort of playing you're not actually trying to go you just stand somewhere and they, they all freak out and that's the thing but you got you know you've got to have some concepts i suppose of, of what you do because even language you know like we all we all know that a table is a table and we can all communicate because we have a shared set of words which we all vaguely agree on the principles or else we wouldn't get to speak so you have to kind of keep you kind of have to keep some norms and have some things that you all agree on because no one and no one unfortunately agrees on on what norms you should throw out and what norms you should keep and that's part of the problem isn't it basically it's a process of attrition. Those things have, um, get thrown out by a process of attrition, uh, fall into disuse over time. So they fall out of, uh, um, fall out of the picture. But if, if, if as a group, we um, consciously work at being part of a group, I think we subconsciously um, try to fit in so there are certain characteristics that we might display as individuals that we curb or um, adjust so that we fit into that group um, mm. and and that's the way we maintain some kind of um, you know cohesiveness and as a result of that uh, the habits that we display I suppose become the norm then just like the words that we would use, as you're saying, you know, the, the, the language. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know, my first job was working, my first proper job when I, when I sort of got that university was, was working for an Irish construction firm. And for me, that was quite an unknown. And, and there were quite a lot of alpha males. 
and I didn't really fit in. And obviously, I was quite sort of well educated and you know, with a good faith and stuff, a bit of a wimp. And they're all like these, like, all right, you're no one from Buddy Carl, like big blokes with like muscles and tattoos and stuff. And that was a bit of a because I, I did feel like I didn't fit in. But I think because I was young, like, and because I was I was quite organized as well, so I was able to get them what they wanted as well, I suppose, because that was part of my job, which was trying to help them, trying to support them. So I think they actually accepted me. <laughs> and it's quite interesting when you actually not part of that norm. And I didn't try and conform. I suppose, I, you know, I think when you have the benefit of youth, I think it's a lot easier to do that. I think maybe if I was facing that now, now that I'm 44, even like going dating at you know, like 44 and starting sort of dating at 44, it's, it's a lot, it seems like a different world. But as I'm sure Alan would say, that's probably fear, isn't it? There's not really, there's not really any reason why someone would give me more of a break if I was young than if I'm the same age. I'm the same person, so... It's in my head, isn't it? I'm just less confident than I was. But on a dating app, they won't see the real you. They'll just see a photograph of you and have yeah, to judge exactly. on what they see. That's the problem. Well, Rob's got this blooming thing that he, that he suggested, which is this thing where you put your photographs on it, like photo something or whatever. And that's quite interesting because you put up photos that you think, I think, like, oh, I look quite good at this. So then you get, like, votes back. Huh? It's, it's quite it's quite interesting actually, like which photos women like and which photos women don't like. It's Where quite an interesting study of of like norms and and what people think. So they 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 just so they decide on your photo whether you're intelligent, trustworthy, and attractive. Basically, you get like they vote on three things. Quite interesting. It's quite, it's, quite a, it's quite a difficult thing to, to sort of sign yourself up for as well, because you're being judged, basically, on how you look. But it's interesting to know how people perceive me when they look at me, I suppose. Because I do remember... Like, where is that? Where is that? Is that photo feeler? Yeah, photo feeler. Is that a series of photos, in like in, in one posting, or is it just an individual photo? Well, well, you put, you put, you, the, the idea I was using it, so, I, so I'd post photos to see what people thought, so I could choose the best funds for a dating profile. So basically, if you, you can either pay for it, and then you could put up loads of photos and they could vote, or else you, you can build up karma, so you have to, um, you have to basically vote on women's photos, so you get lots of women's photos for men from, as a man, and you, so you vote on them, and then you get karma, and then people vote on your photographs. But you can only have one active at once, basically. Uh -huh. Quite interesting. Sure, a bit. It's a case of like you say, post three different types of photos of you, and they vote which would be what the um, impression they get of each photo. Yeah, that would be better. But no, you have to do it individually, unless you pay. Uh, <laughs> like with everything else on the internet, you always got to pay, haven't you? Basically, of course. <laughs> the free thing is never as good. We do that for. Um, I'm in a widow's group, and we we put our pictures up and get feedback from each other. On stuff like that, which is uh, interesting. Yeah. It's probably too nice. We're probably too nice to each other. Because yeah, <laughs> yeah. normally, if you'd ask like friends and whatever, that's mutual support, isn't it? But obviously, if you're just doing it, I'm yeah. literally throwing myself into the lion's den, aren't I? Basically, it's good saying, for you. It's good for you. Face the fear. <laughs> I, think, I think the term there is lion's mouth. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Well, it's like it's some place haven't got a clue. So it's one of the guys today put on 
like eight pictures of just this bit of him, you know, just his face. And it was like, actually, it might be nice to know there's more of you than just your face. But he didn't realise that that was important to sort of maybe see a full body length picture. Because not everyone wants to show that on a dating app. Well, we were talking about this earlier, weren't they? Because like, I find women's photos quite bizarre as well. Because you get, obviously, you get some that are proper flaunted there and in skimpy clothes and stuff. And you're doing like, <laughs> you know, you know like, it's like, like, it's their dating profile. And it's like, here's three photos of me and my bait, you know, my swimsuit. And you're like, I'm not, you know, I'm just like, right, goodbye. But then, <laughs> but then you have other ones who, who clearly kind of have issues and, and just show you like a bit. So you see like a bit of their face and you can't really tell what they look like. And it's like, well, I'm not, you know, I'm, all right, you've got a very nice left eye, but can I, like, can I see the rest of your face? Well, no, I, I had a friend that dated a lady with her hair always here and she yeah, only yeah. had one eye. She only had one eye. Yeah, really? He, said, he was really shocked because they, he, he just thought she was doing sexy photos, but no, she only had one eye. So she always had her hair over her face. That's okay. It's I always good to ask, have you got your own eyes and teeth? It's yeah, there's, a, there's a Benny Connolly song about that. That I basic think. thing. <laughs> have you got legs? Legs <laughs> or two. Mm -hmm. Or, you know. I always I, remember, though, talking about like the way you look and how people perceive you. I, I used to have long hair. And basically, um, I eventually decided, I actually got it cut off for charity, funnily enough, because this is when I was working for the I was working for the police. I basically, um, and they, the police just used to rid me all the time because I had long hair, obviously. And this was kind of back when it, it was still quite old school. So they were still, you know, if you're a civilian, they still really were quite in the way they spoke to you. They didn't have a lot of respect for you. I used to get constantly rid. So I thought, okay, I'm finally going to, I thought, you know, I've had this for a long time. I'm going to have a change. And I was, get, you know, I was getting fed up with it as well. So I got it all shaved off. And I remember like walking like from where we worked, which was like sort of Gage Street, the Tottenham Court Road station, after I'd had it cut off. And people, and obviously I'm, I'm the same person, but yeah. people were just getting out of the way because it was like, it was, I mean, it was like a grave nought or whatever. You were well hard. People were giving me like distance. And the only thing that had, had happened was I'd had my hair cut. And it's just funny what people perceive when they, when they see certain things, really. Yeah. You know, it means yeah. you're like you know like a Nazi or whatever. Or yeah, well, you don't you don't always know, do you? You don't under, You don't always know what other people are thinking about your photos. I know. Mm. Um. You, you, but unconsciously, you just don't know what you're sending out, and, and people are just picking up stuff. And you, know, you have yeah, no, I, yeah. No, someone no. someone told me I was on a I did the Great British Home course in lockdown, and so I did a Zoom with the Norfolk offshoot of the Facebook group. And someone said, oh, you're brave, your hair, you're brave. And I was like, that is not what I would call brave at all. I just thought, what a funny comment. I didn't say anything, but I just thought, brave to me is dying for your country. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> not the colour of a bit of hair. I was just like, oh, my word. Oh, it's the colour of your hair. That's, that's what she's talking about? Yeah, yeah, she thought it was brave that I'd got a little bit of hair coloured green. I was like, that is, that's, it was just weird. You say Norfolk, though? Me, yeah, I'm in Norfolk. Yeah. Oh, you're right, okay. I have got what? some friends who live in Norfolk, and they do tell me stories where, where people are a bit uptight about things. <laughs> <laughs> the curtain twitches, I think, basically. 
does seem to be quite bad. I'm sure you get that everywhere, but you know, they have told me a few stories which I'm quite surprised by about like residents associations and stuff being a bit like okay. Yeah, yeah, I tend not to date in Norfolk. <laughs> I'm a bit too brave. <laughs> yeah. Well they've got a reputation for only dating in Norfolk, haven't they? I think basically. <laughs> I, I attempted to do it recently and I just thought, why did I bother? That's mm. not good, is it really? Man, it's looking bleak. Uh, I, I, I feel like, oh God, when, when am I going to even see somebody who is even worth it? Oh my um, gracious. Yeah. <laughs> Pete, where are you, Pete? I'm in London, actually. Oh, you're still in but, London. But, yeah, rather, yeah, so we're tier two lockdown, obviously, but I'm, I'm trying to move out. I mean, do you want to move out for about a year? <laughs> and I'm still bloody here because we get getting locked down all the time. So yeah. I'm in that weird thing where I'm kind of, I'm kind of, look, but I, I thought, well, bloody hell, I don't know when the hell I'm going to move. So so for a while, I was because I was trying to move to Cardiff. So I was trying to look for girls in Cardiff. But I think most of them are like, you live in London. So why the hell am I? Because obviously no one likes Londoners anyway. Outside of London. So, so, um, it's, it's interesting because one of the things that I thought when we did that first exercise at was it four hours ago now, mm. was that I'm always impressed if someone will drive to Norfolk to visit me. You know, if you're prepared to drive four hours to see me, that makes me interested. Whereas <laughs> some people, some, well, some people that live 20 minutes away say, oh, that's a bit far. Pinter, it's a bit far. Because they'll live in Norwich and I live out towards the coast. Oh, no, you're too far. Really? So it's, it's, sometimes it's easier for me to find interested people that live... 150 miles away than it is 20 miles. I don't know if you, anyone else has found that. Yeah. Here I am thinking 50 miles is, is far enough. Well, <laughs> I, need, I, I need to rethink my distance. <laughs> it does. I just feel I feel I feel appreciated that someone would actually get in get and get themselves to where I am. I think I think at the moment though, because we're all, a lot of us are locked down. I, I just think throw it as wide as you can, you know. Like if, at the end of the day, you know, we're pro you're probably not going to be able to do anything more than a virtual date. So, you know, why not? You 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 you're not being creative, Pete. There's all sorts of stuff going on. <laughs> that sounds intriguing. I've heard all sorts of stories because uh, I know so many single people. I suppose that. You know, delivering roast dinners to your, you know, your your new potential partner's doorstep, and all sorts of stuff going on. Uh, interesting. Uh, mm. There'll be a, a cold roast dinner after four hours drive. Well, you know, and then going back and eating on Zoom together, like having a Zoom date stuff. Is that so you're looking for someone to bring you a, lo a roast dinner in Norfolk, then? Yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> There you go, Pete. <laughs> Get down. Get down, Pete. <laughs> what do you guys think of the idea of having to drop your standards if you want someone? Oh, that's tough. I, I... I like people say, oh, the reason you can't find someone is, well, you need to drop your standards then. Yeah. That's a toughie. But do they know what your standards are or they're assuming <laughs> that um, you you have... Um, such high standards that nobody can meet them because I find that some people can be quite judgmental. It feels judgmental, doesn't it, to, to yeah. talk about these things? Yeah, I, I, it does feel judgmental. 
But do you think that's realistic, though? Well, I think it depends. You know, like I spoke earlier about um, women on average will top, pick the top 30% of looks, top 10% of intelligence, or is it 20% of intelligence, the height. Um, that A lot of that is ruling, means that there's a small section of men that most women are attracted to. And so you've got almost all women going for this, you know, the doctors that are six foot two, um, you know, have nice cars, really good looking, um, great social skills. They um, are then um, more in demand. Um, so there's a lot of people fighting for a small number of, of men. Um, so it depends on what are the standards that you have to drop. It depends whether it's something, sometimes uh, your barriers are that you're ruling people out that you could have good relationships with. Um, and sometimes um, it's just the fact of maybe not looking on the right places or um, not talking to enough people. But I suppose the standard that you would never want to comp compromise is your actual core values. Well, it, it, it depends. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I think what you're really looking for is you're really looking for integrity. You're really looking for kindness. You're really looking for someone who's committed to who will work with you. So, we're, you know, like Dan Wiles says, when you marry someone, you marry a set of problems. Um, so th the issue is what is the problem you can live with? So you might have different values about money. You might have different values about children. But as long as you understand and respect each other, um, sometimes that, that can, that can work. So I think you have to be in the relationship a little while and see, see if it's a, if it's the real problem that you can't live with. Yeah. And I, and I suppose also the other key thing is that you want the same things in life because quintessentially whatever you're pursuing in life, if you're not pursuing the same things and you're not going in the same direction, are you? Yeah, and, and but then it, it, um, sometimes it's a, a matter of refinement of what you want, and most people don't really know. Um, and the same person, they're, they're on a spectrum, um, and the spectrum that they're on it depends on how you behave, not the spectrum. <laughs> they're well, they're on a, a spectrum of they'll be like this with one person, they'll be like this with someone else. And it depends on how the relationship, on what you activate in them. Mm. I, I always think about it as being like, you know, like when you look for a flat or a house or something, you know, you obviously have this perfect idea of what your flat or your house is, you know. And, and it's very quite rare that you can find something that has everything you want. But I suppose there are certain things that maybe you wouldn't compromise on and other things you would compromise on. And other things you'd think, okay, well, we'll see, I suppose, basically. Because obviously that's quite a big commitment, isn't it? Then maybe if you're renting, it's less, basically. Yeah. I, yeah. I, and, but also, I, I again look at like the apple enchantment idea um, that if, if you, you know, sometimes you think you know what you want um, and you would have wanted a better Nokia. Um, and really, the iPhone delighted you but you would never have asked for it because you didn't know. Yeah. So sometimes, yeah. So, so maybe if, if that's been the barrier, maybe it's worth just 
going out on a few dates, seeing people, seeing how things go, and then um, deciding mm. if, if having the same value. Because it's quite difficult where you're chatting to someone or you're on the first date and you're asking them, you know, I know you're not going straight out, but yeah, on this value, this value, because you're seeing the snapshot and you have no real idea of the story behind that person and what's led them to that and what they haven't experienced. And so meeting you is going to change them because you've brought a whole different range of experiences and you meeting them and understanding what makes them them is going to also change you. So I'd say if, if you feel that you're not getting anywhere, then maybe just try seeing what it's like with other people, not with less expectation, just, just looking at who they are and um, without putting them in boxes with names, you know, like kind of labels or, or saying they have different values to me. All of these things, are, uh, there's lots of subtleties to them. Right. Yeah, I think so. I agree. I think uh, we've we've run we've run late tonight. I know I've got a workshop. I've got to be up for early in the morning. But thank you all for for being here and con contributing and sharing your views and experiences. And I hope to see you next week. But can I? I not thank you very much, you. Rob. Is it every week, Rob? Yes, every Monday, same time. And does it? When same does it normally week. finish? Uh, <laughs> it runs on. Rob, I've never finished on time since I've been joining anyway. Yeah, no. Is, it's, there, it's, is, there a, is there a vague end time in the schedule somewhere that we all ignore? Well, it, it was yeah. it was it's set for seven till nine. Oh, okay. We've never finished at nine. Oh, I, I don't think most times we finished at ten. And the recording um, is for whose purpose? Who's to see the recording? We um, the video recording doesn't go out anywhere. The audio recording goes um, onto a podcast where anyone can listen to it. Right. Um, but we only use first names, and the, we don't use the video. Right. Okay. I just wondered. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Hope to see you next week. Have a good week, yeah. everyone. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Thanks. Bye. 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 <laughs>